interesting conversation we had in that booth there. That's why I didn't want to step on the thing. I usually talk in with the, with the music goes, but I thought I'd let it go this no, time. That was an interesting conversation we had. We had uh, a, a, a chat with your guest, kind of off... Uh, Who is? Wait a minute. All right. Just jump now. <laughs> <laughs> a chat with your just guest. Just trying to get started. Uh, with a, ch- a chat with your guest uh, off mic there, just talking about uh, certain police protocols that have changed over the years, thankfully for the better, um, stuff like that. Uh, because our guest today is uh, Paul McLaughlin from Mojo, the Miscarriages of Justice organisation. Welcome, Paul. How are you doing? All right, Paul. Right. Uh, I'm really nervous here because you get you get kind of like authoritative kind of. We've usually get goofy people on the show. You've got kind of <laughs> obviously that's not know me. <laughs> I feel a wee bit intimidated here. You better behave yourself tonight. That's all I'm saying. I know. He's not a police, for fuck's sake. I've not got warm. No, it's because you're, yeah, you're dead clean and kind of like clean cut. You just fucking got beards and all that and coming right. in here and looks scruffy people. I'm going to tell you the new, right? I'll tell you the new. Paul and I know, I've known each other a long time. I'm wondering how we know time, you. Right? We've known each other a long time, right? And uh, we actually went to see Mark Thomas. Together. And You're the extremist guy. No. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he doesn't care much for your accusations, by the way. <laughs> right. No, what I'm just happened? piecing this together right. on a fly here. We went to see Mark Thomas together. Uh, and see, Paul, on one of your uh, previous podcasts, we had a guy who was a, he was a, an Australian activist. And he was heavily involved with no nukes and uh, busting refugees. Big shout out to Gary, Gary C. Gary C. Uh, Gary Cushway. So we had him on, right? And uh, and we were talking about domestic extremism because we went to see uh, Mark Thomas together. Yeah. And Mark Mark Thomas mentioned the thing uh, about a domestic extremist, and Paul and I both looked at each other and said, "Do you think we've ever been on that list?" <laughs> <laughs> I'd be insulted if I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing something wrong. I've, I've not been grafting for 30 odd years doing stuff and not to get on the list. Do you well, know what I mean? well, the thing is, if anything, you're a pain in the arse to the system, I'll give you that one. Well, you need pains in the arse. You do, you for, do. For or, this, I sp- well, yeah, that's, that's right, because it, uh, gone, gone with what, uh, what you've been involved in in the past and what you're involved in now, uh, with the. the, the I don't like you call them institutions or charities, really. Well, it's, organi- it's community-based organisations I've always been involved in throughout my, my, my life. Aye, um, things that I see for the better, and uh, obviously it is for the better, it's as simple as that. Community as such as well? Well, I, I grew up in Postal, uh, and one of, well, there was two things I was involved in as a teenager. Basically... In the days, you had community centres. You've still got community centres, right? But you had them in nearly every every area. Yep. You would have your own wee community centre. This would be like the, the mid-80s, you're talking? Uh, late 70s, uh, early 80s, I, yeah. I was going to... I was a, just becoming a teenager. Uh, started secondary school in 79, so just when Thatcher had came to power, okay. I started secondary school. Now, the guys running our community centre, one was uh, in the Workers' Revolutionary Party, party uh, and the other one was in the Socialist Party of Great Britain. Uh, mm. A guy called Wally Ross. He was a central committee member. He was a Janney. And Big Mick Kennedy, who. Fever a Janney. Well, this, this is what it was. I mean, at that point in time, things were very politicised, obviously. So. Is that I, where you got, got your interest in that? Kind I, I kind of, because sitting talking and listening to what was being said and having no conversations with people and just fair there, realising 
and being educated into well, why why am I staying in the uh, at that time? They're, they still do it, but and I noticed recently that we we dropped in the leagues. It's a disgrace. But they had the deprivation leagues. Oh, I, for, I remember I was on the news. Uh, Dunchapel's number two. Ah, the drum made it. In. Uh, well, we used to be number one, right? Yeah. In Western Europe, no, only no. <laughs> Champions League, the deprivation scale. Who was number one? Postal, Postal was number at one. that time, and and uh, my youth, we were. Always tap of the league. Always, always doing well. You know? And it wasn't just on goal difference. Was it? No, no, no. We <laughs> had, had a good football team as well. But <laughs> well, when we, when we talk about multi deprivation, we had every fucking aspect here. Every know? start was. Every start we hot it. No. Uh, but at that age, I was, well, 12, 13, well, 11, 12, 13 questioning why I stayed in a shite home basically no. right and why we people like me and my family and the people in my community why were we getting all the shit that you no know, dumped on us so I began to ask questions about that amongst anybody I could ask the questions and as I say it so happened that we had a couple of communist agitators <laughs> <laughs> to give the answers <laughs> so I began to get involved and basically what it was and, and it was always a strong ethos uh, that I was brought up with at this age way the people that you know, the only way to change things was to take control of yourself now that is as an individual but also as a community and to try and fight back because the one thing that we knew nobody else is going to do anything for you here mm. you know, the, the people that are meant to represent you politically are full of shit. Uh, they were then, and they continue to be up to this point. Uh, we had Michael Martin as a MP who ended up being the Speaker of the House of Commons. Well, we moved to Postal in 1977, and that, I mean, the decline had already already began. Uh, the deindustrialisation had already began. Uh, Postal and Springburn, for that matter, the constituency, had been the engineering heart of the British Empire, mm-hmm. uh, so basically full employment. That hadn't obviously my time. He gone to school, etc. That wasn't still happening, but you could see the the decline happening in the area. The companies pulling out, uh, and the area starting to fall apart. People getting basically. People getting thrown on the on the scrap. This is just the aftermath of that. This is is it. Hat? I mean, is this no? It was happening because I remember it. Could you visually see that happening? Oh, I mean, as a as a boy, it was a winter of discontent in nineteen seventy eight. But before that, you had uh, I, I remember the the miners' strike that brought down the Heath government mm-hmm. as a boy in the three day week, and uh, so it was the candles uh, lighting everywhere, factories shutting down, getting sent home for school. So all that and industrial the de- unrest was very see, apparent. Going see, going we, up in Glasgow. I don't want to get right into the politics, all right? But see, the Heath government, right? They were actually more kind of lefty than fucking Tony Blair's <laughs> aye but that's because of what they were faced with and who they had up against them I mean we had a united a union, union. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now this is the thing unions have been demonised right but to tie back into where I was the reason that we had community centres in every area was because people would campaign to say no we want things for our area mm-hmm. right we want things for our lives and for our people so that's why you had good community services at that point because labour governments had brought them in, right? There's actually a you can go and check us. See the the big kick up in the past few years has obviously been about the disparity of income for the highest to the lowest. Well, I think at this point we're we're somewhere uh, 
the the highest earner earns maybe fifty times as much as the lowest earner in the UK. I might be slightly wrong. Yeah, we'll what was the, the, the uh, theatre group? The was it seven eight four or something? Seven eight four, aye, aye. But when you look at uh, the early sort of seventy seventy four up to seventy eight. The disparity was something like, and it's and I think it was somewhere about 38, 40. So the, mm-hmm. the richest person earned 38 to 40 times as much. So we've had that disparity grow through that period. What had happened, from my point of view, was is that the, the income gap, the idea of a meritocracy in the UK had begun to develop and had seeped into the culture Aye. and Thatcherism and monetarism, mm-hmm. which... Heath was the first proponent, eh, by the way, and get beat because you did have a united set of unions against them that brought them down. Aye. But that whole process had began in the early 70s and came to fruition through way Thatcherism, coming in to say, no, we're not having it, because they, they could see what they were losing, right? They were losing the wealth that they felt they were entitled to. They, they were They were losing control. So there was, I mean, anybody, you can see it clear as a bell in, in UK society through the 50s and 60s. Social mobility had came out of what had happened after the, after the, the, war. the war. And people did have the opportunity. There's a big talk about grammar schools at the moment. and mm. A lot of people talk about how, how they managed to advance themselves through grammar schools, working class people's first possibility to get into proper education. But uh, Is there a middle class anymore? I think there's a middle class. I don't think classes ever went away. I think it was one of my goals. It's not just such a kind of golf, though. Is it no? I mean, it was always kind well, of, for, you're working class, middle class, and then you get the real rich people. Aye, but but for, for me, class is about, in that sense, is about attitude and identification. Yeah. So there's a cultural idea of class, but there's also the basic do you have to go out and work to put yeah. a dinner on the table? But I'm thinking is the middle class no more working class now than ever? I think there's no, there's, there's, uh, there's you could say there's no such thing economically as a middle class. The middle yeah. class is an, an order, the bourgeois, right. right? So it is about cultural attitudes rather than about uh, economy. Yeah, 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 do, right? you, do you know something strange to be coming up with this? Uh, I was telling Bob a while ago that, I, uh, I don't even think I said it on, on the uh, podcast, uh, that I <laughs> uh, recently, uh, see, what, to my own, I'm going to say it's a, a Pretty disgusted with myself, but I became quite apathetic towards what was going on because I'm going, how the fuck am I going to change it? There's no way I'm going to change it, stuff like that. And then I, I just one night I was sitting and there was a spoken word thing happening in because I stay in Crawford now, which is doing the whole for <coughs> Castle Milk, right? Mm. So I'm saying to myself, right, where the, do you know what? I used to be a mad activist, right? <laughs> I was saying, I'm fucking sitting in my house and I'm quite comfortable and. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm no rich, I'm no poor, I'm no fucking... I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm a fucking sellout. I was thinking to myself, and I, and I seen this spoken word thing was on up in the Castle Milk uh, Youth Complex. So I was like, ah, it was a Tuesday night, I'm like, fuck, I'm getting up there. And it was actually set up by Castle Milk against austerity, mm. right? Um, so I got, went up and I started speaking to the people up there, and uh, and we actually discussed class, Mm. Right, and uh, and they came to the kind of same conclusions as yourself. Well, no, I mean, people a, tell you class doesn't exist anymore as the people in positions of power who, right. who don't want us talking about it. Do you know what I mean? No, don't yeah. identify on that basis. Uh, you know, no, that's the only thing you can identify on. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's like you say, by who, the, whose interests is society developing for? The people telling you that class doesn't exist, or the people who are living in places like Castlemilk, Drumchapel, mm. Bosso, uh, and all these other so, places. So when you obviously you you notice all that happening, right? 
Was it a natural? Was it a natural? Was it one step? By the way, I'm going to get involved in this, or was it just a constant thing? Because for when I knew you, right, uh, you were working doing work with Best Cap, no, and we done that uh, concert thing. Yeah. Um, what was uh, that? We we put on a uh, was it stand together to it was, post poverty. Uh, it was anti world anti poverty day, and we put on a series of events. Right. Uh, get we'll get to West Camp, right? Because we were we were was is where I was in Postal and who I'd met and what I got involved in. So the first two things that I was really involved in politically was the initial thing, the state of the housing that we were living in would probably be similar to the housing that you lived aye, in in Drumchapel. Damp ridden hovels, the windies didn't fit. Single pane, fucking wind blowing through them. Basically, it was a the, the scheme had become... Because when we moved there as a, as a family, we moved there in 1977, August 22nd, 1977, a, a Tuesday afternoon, I think it was. Right? I never forget, well, I never forget it because see where we moved, we'd moved to the Milton, which is a reasonably nice wee residential area at that point, right? I was going to say what? Uh, well, it was at that point, right? When we moved to Postal, the first night in the house, there was three stolen motors at the back, <laughs> rallying out the back, right? And we're like, oh, Ma, where have you fucking brought us to here? No, what is this place all about? Quite entertaining, but it was yeah. a mad fucking area, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a crazy wee area. But anyway... Do you know, it's, you know something terrible? I mm-hmm. loved growing up in the drum because it was always daft shit like that. Aye, but that's what right when you're a kid, but as a uh, community, it fucking destroys your uh, community. It's I just remember apart. sitting in the back windy, right? And we've got a hill behind my mum's house. My mum still stays there. We had a hill behind my mum's house. Obviously, I, I, grew, I was born in the close, in the corner. And, uh, my what? You mean you're born in the close in the corner, but like you're in a close? Shut up. No. In Why did you say that? In then? the coal cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> right, so they fucking grow up in Charles Dickens or something. Shut up, Fuck. Right. Anyway, so the uh, so me and my my two brothers were in there and my mom fell pregnant again and Martin was on the way. I don't know if he was born. I think he was born, I he was born. Martin was born, so it was me, my three brothers, and we were all living in a two bedroom close in the in the in the drum and my mom got a five apartment. So it was round the corner, but I remember being a wee boy and sitting in the back room, right, and watching out the back window and just seeing, we've got a hill behind us and it's fucking literally mud. Yeah. It's mud, man. And there's just stolers getting down there, like, I mean, for the coppers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And going, wow, mm-hmm. man. You know, well, but like you say, it's entertaining as a way. It tells up your community, though. Well, see, where, where we were was, it was, I stayed in Tor Street. So it was Tor Street, Sloy Street, Fruin Street and Finlas Street. And basically, the area was called on either side of Sloy Street and Finlay Street. It was called the Arches, and it was a rectangle. What it looked like was, it was like a a, a barracks, basically. That's what mm-hmm. it appeared like. That's what it always I always thought about it as. And in this, in the middle was like this rectangle where everything went on, mm-hmm. right? All the stolen cars, burnt People out. People fighting. Ah, it was like a fucking coliseum for a scheme. Exactly. And we had verandas looking out <laughs> on there. <laughs> thumbs up and thumbs down. Was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very entertaining, but you could see the, the place, because the close we moved into, now, again, this is an admission about my, who my family was, right? Uh, we moved into quite what had been quite a respectable working class hard grafting families, not to say my, my family isn't it, right? But my mother's a single mother, right? And obviously it was that, that whole sort of attitude towards single mothers. And at that point, and now I'm only finding this out sometime later, that again, Postal became an area where they were taking people who they felt 
were so, so potential social problems and mm-hmm. dumping them into the area. In the one place, they're putting all the social problems yeah, in the Yeah, into one that area. This is right? kind of what we spoke about. Yeah, we place. were speaking about that. Aye. So, my family was one of the families, and I can't deny it. Me, me and my brother were fucking, uh, no, up to some right shit. bad shit when we oh, were aye. boys, right? But along with a number of other people, it was mm-hmm. her. It was kind of. Chap, don't run away. Aye, kind of like that. Aye, aye. No, no, just maybe slightly better. Shite a light. Aye, aye. If MD doesn't know what well, shite a light is, it's a shite and a broom bag. I think they could guess. Right. I'm not admitting no air, right? That's what I'm, I'm saying. But we weren't necessarily the. the we never, we never robbed our neighbours, right? But we fucking robbed everybody else, right? <laughs> that's the kind of place it was, right? So that's. But the families that were at, were there were solid working class families, grafters, and you could start to see changes in the area. It was starting to no, no investment coming in anymore, no work. The council didn't give a shit. The MP didn't give a shit. Paid lip service to the idea of anything changing for you, but that didn't really happen. You start to see to see uh, services being drained out of the area. When I see that kind of thing we are talking about there, it always puzzles me as to why people destroy where they live. Why does it happen? Why does it... I know you're, t- you're saying that the, the council don't send people in to help and things like that, but why do people end up brick wars and because stuff Because if like you're told your shit all your life, right, and this is what you're kind of getting the vibe of, that mm. you don't matter, then mm. people get a bit... It's like fucking having a, a, a polar bear in, in a zoo and you see it wandering around in circles. It starts mm. to sell farmers. It's, uh, that's what caged animals do to, to, to where they are, to their environment yeah, no, and to themselves. Oh, we, we, we're consciousness and we're, I mean... No, no, that's... You, that's, you, live, there, you live in a place, you really mm, want to live in a place and, and I, I never understood that, that, that with the, the menshies and the wall, the place... But that, that's fair enough if you've got the education. You're a fucking now. ned yourself. I know, I say I can fucking talk about Aye, this but, with someone. But, that, but that, that to me is fair enough if you've got the education and the opportunities to do anything about it. But if you're mm. constantly told, you're shit, you'll always be shit, shut your fucking mouth... No, this is nothing to do with you. Well, a certain amount of people will begin to believe that. Do you think it's an outlet that they need, maybe? Like, is that why the problem is there's nature well, centers I, I, and there's nothing for well, me? Partly that, right? Partly that. that partly that. But I think a desire or, or, or some fucking idea that you have some interest in the society you live in. Yeah. And we were being told, you don't have anything in this society. That's these are all lumped in the one place together well, because you're all... He's only worth it, right? So I began to meet people who began to give me explanations as to why that was happening yeah. and began to organise a new area. This is, this is the, the mushroom thing again. Aye, Keep them in the dark, dark throw shit on them. Well, that, that's kind of what it is, uh, and don't, don't, no, don't get too uppity. I mean, at that point, what we were beginning to see was the riots through the UK and uh, people responding back to what what they were being, what, what had been happening to them. So, postal's response in the bit that we were in was uh, we decided as a community, that we were going to take care of the housing. Mm. We were the first housing co-op in the UK, first tenant-led organisation right? to take care of our own houses. How did you do that? Just fucking work How up with pitfalls? It was actually, well, it was kind of no far after that, right? Mm. Because what we've done, no, I'm saying what we've done, this is the adults the in the area of the community, which I was part of. I was out leafleting, chapping doors, talking to the neighbours, 
putting on no Dane Dog's body work for the organisation, the, the what was called at that time the working post, for housing co-op, right? That's working what, for that's what we were doing. So was that a job you had at the time? Was that like no, uh, absolutely. just thirteen, fourteen? So you're doing this, aye, so right, aye. so you're no, you're no fast forward in the time, and here you're still like no, no, thirteen, still, doing still this a stuff, young, right? a young boy in Poso, and don't get me wrong, I'm doing a lot of other shit, that, right? But this was partly, but. Go and do this. You know you've got a responsibility to do this mm. and getting this. No, it was staff fucking things like, no, getting good the responsibility. I mind the first time fucking some of the, pl- the workers, they were called play workers, were going to have a, there was a big postal fete each year. All the areas used to have them mm-hmm. and it would be floats going in through the scheme, right? And everybody dressed up and all that. We all ended up dressed as Vikings on the back of this <laughs> fucking flatbed lorry. But before that, because we were trying to raise funds, the, so the workers had given us their ID to go out and hit every shop and every business in the area to put in something for the raffle. So oh. I ended up going around Bozo with these fucking IDs, chatting doors, walking into offices. Hello, my name's Paul McLaughlin, I'm for the Tor, Tor Street Play Centre. Here's the ID for the worker that sent me up here. Do you mind to help out? And then taking that stuff back and that yeah. was being part of, part of what we were doing. But that was... We took consciously going, oh, I'm, I'm getting... Fucking a bit of responsibility here. You could feel it. You knew that that's at the end You're of the being day. Trusted with you were, no, it was trying to gel something together and say you've got a fucking place here, right? Mm. So responding to that idea that you've got a place here, that you begin to take part in the organisation of things. So we ended up. I mean, there's some cracking things around the housing co-op. Uh, Lord Douglas Hume was the housing minister at the time. Tory housing minister. So. Some of the people that were... Shitty name that, isn't it? Uh, well, one of the biggest landowners in Scotland, right? Yeah, right. But uh, uh, our committee members, a few of your committee members, bought uh, flights, uh, seats on flights that he was on, and mm-hmm. just would sit either side of him and, <laughs> you know about the postal housing co <laughs> This is what we want. Nah, 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 right? And he couldn't get away. He's up yeah, there, and there's nothing to care about. <laughs> so he ends up coming to postal, uh, and he gets drove into Thrun Street. Now, Thrun Street had this reputation. Thrun Street was the heart of darkness, do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but he's got out of the car, and remember, he's a Tory government minister. <laughs> so he's uh, out of his car. Somebody distracted his security and grab, dragged him through the back close. <laughs> right, here you go. A few people <laughs> took him through and brought him round to where the chair, your chairperson was and uh-huh. said, right, we want a real talk with you. This, and you're Holy no shit, this happened. It's like no... fucking Muppets abducting Jack Black. Uh, well, we'd, it's we'd, a bit better than that. Fucking <laughs> hell. We didn't take fucking... <clears throat> No prisoners, or we did take prisoners. So, but what it ended up with was is a, it ended up with a competition between the Labour uh, Council and the Tories because the Tories loved the idea. Here's these people <laughs> want to break the council's stranglehold mm. on the housing, right? And the council f- fearful of that idea. So, they were both trying, no, we played the math against each All other. Right. When I say we, I mean. The, the, the community, the, right? Yeah. The community played the math against each other and they were falling out themselves in the end to give Postal this status as the first tenant-led, tenant-owned housing so, uh, co- mm-hmm. cooperative. That actually came off the back of a couple of guys who had moved into our area. Uh, one called Jim Winter and another guy called Dave McKenzie. Dave stayed in the scheme for... Uh, he came, he appeared out in nowhere one day, right? This wee guy, he was like fucking a mad hippie. We used to call him Cosmic Dave, right? He was <laughs> some man, he was a great guy, an incredible guy, right? Didn't give a, a shit about fucking where he was. He was there for one reason, 
and that was to change what mm-hmm. was happening in our area, right? Him along with Jim Winter and Mick Kennedy fucking basically going about the area, agitated and created this organisation around the housing co-op. As I say, the, there was a playoff against the Tories and Labour. We only wanted to have decent housing. We knew the council weren't going to provide it. We weren't obviously fucking there to throw bones to the Tories to say how well they were doing or anything. But at the end of the day, we were staying in houses that literally had fucking mushrooms, fields grown in the was, and uh, the damp... I mean, I think it was something like 50%, 60% of the windies in the houses didn't fit the windies. So you couldn't heat your house properly. It wasn't possible to heat your... It doesn't matter what you would do. What's the effect of that for the generations that come after? Because how long was the, the houses like that? How long did oh, the people with the communities have to live time, with that? A long time. Well, and, and again, this bearing in mind is, is uh, where the cuts had come in and they were cutting council grants, so therefore you weren't going to get the necessary repairs done. They might have maintained them a bit better. These houses were built in 1935 uh, and they won awards for architecture. Right. They were seen as model housing for right. the working class. So the, the, it wasn't the, the, the houses and the, the fabric of the houses uh, weren't perfectly fine. It was a failure to maintain, yeah. right? And that was a, a symptom, obviously, of what else we've been talking about. Yeah. This deliberate thing you gone, well, we're not going to spend money in the likes of you. Because it's not worth it. And our reaction yeah, was, is, well, we're yeah. not fucking taking this. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of the anger does spill out in futile nonsense. And that's what did happen. Futile nonsense and stealing... Drugs, the whole bit, he's not a story, he's yeah. come for the same city as me, so you know what happened. <coughs> I mean, uh, there's another argument there, why did drugs happen in Glasgow? It happened in, from my, my point of view, the, the explosion of heroin addiction happened precisely at the time that Mrs Thatcher came in. Was that an 80s thing? That was an 80s no, no, thing? No, no, it was, was, it was one, of the, one of the first things that Mrs Thatcher done in power was to cut customs, yeah. right? And this will lead me on to where I went next, right? You're we, really good at this podcasting, by the way. Aye, yeah, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> no, because sometimes we have to lead the people on and say, then what? Then no. what? But you kind of know your own story. Well, know, sometimes they need, they need to find a place for us as well, but you know your own place. No, I, know, I, I, know, I know what I want to talk about. So, <laughs> Thatcher had cut customs, man, right? Which allowed heroin to end up in the streets. So it was... It because of the lax kind of customs and stuff, because what there was well, any... it wasn't lax. There was no customs, man. Mm. Right? <laughs> was that a deliberate act? I don't know. But you can take it back to what had happened in black areas of America yeah. and look at what happened there Flooded when the, when people the, began to fucking say, "Hold on a minute, we're going to we're we're getting shafted here." They attempt to organise themselves under the Black Panthers and organisations like that, and then yeah. that's crushed by fucking. An influx of heroin. Yeah, right? so, so, keep them doing. so surprise, surprise, we're coming to a point in Britain where this social confrontation is quite possible and is actually showing signs of happening. And lo and behold, what happens is, is that the, the streets, of drugs uh, uh, the most, one of the most militant cities in the UK, gets flooded well, with heroin. I do believe the UK and things like that are usually maybe about 10, 15 years behind the curve in America. If you yeah. see something really fucking heinous happening in America, you usually can get to us in like 10, 15 years. Yeah. I would believe that. I well, think that would be fucking well, we talked very about plausible. It. We right? talked about it with Gary and Norway, Linton Crosby. Um, you know how they adopted basically Australia's stance on fucking immigration and all that mm. through Linton Crosby uh, and uh, and how they got uh, David Cameron re-elected and all that shit, you know. But so, the, the drug thing happened in our area started to see, I mean, it was about 81 mm-hmm. uh, when it finally just, because you'd had people previous to that 
using my brother was a heroin addict, one of one of the early heroin addicts. But what you had in Britain was the change. Late sixties, they changed the drug laws. Uh, previous to, I think it's is it the sixty six uh, abuse. Of, uh, I can't mind the name of the act, but it's the act that they brought in to change, Did you get change the drug laws. From about '66, uh, prior to that, you had been able, if you were using heroin, you could go to a, a doctor and get mm-hmm. a script. Uh, so it was all perfectly legal. It was medicalised and they, they contained it. So it meant what could happen was is that if you used drugs, you could lead a normal life. Mm-hmm. It was just the same as, oh, I've got asthma, he's an asthma inhaler. Although, obviously, there'd be a lot of people who'd be critical in the idea to make the comparison. But for me, heroin addiction, alcoholism, these are health problems and should be treated as health problems. Instead, what they became were criminal problems and yeah, ended because up of the laws. condemning mm. masses of people. Well, that, it, so it, also, it's if you turn around, if you're, a, if you are a, the, the establishment and you're turning around and saying these people are criminals, people will turn against them mm. because they think it is a criminal act rather than, like you say, a fucking addiction and an illness. And when you turn around and you say about about anything, that's a, it, I, I was, I'm trying to think of the, uh, I think I mentioned it with the hippies in fucking one of previous podcasts mm. with the hippies all smoking grass. They went uh, like that. They, they fucking made it a terrible, terrible crime. Uh, in America, by the way, the hippies are fucking smoking. They're taking drugs and they mm. do the old drugs. Right? As soon as somebody says drugs, you got old people going druggy. But there's so many fucking, voices and so I, many people that, that are kind of in but, that hippie kind of group that can completely be, get discredited because they're labelled with drug users. And because they're fucking called criminals. Mm. As soon as you still call somebody a criminal, society's sometimes, mm. I mean, I'm going to say most of the time, turns against the fucking person. But do you know, again, because this ties back into what I'm talking about, there was a report done in America, I think, in about uh, early 70s, uh, into the affected drugs and grass and all that, and it basically said, no, there's no this isn't a, a major problem here. It was Nixon that instituted the war on drugs, mm. totally ignoring his own report. And why did he do that? For the very same reasons. Because he politicised the whole issue, because he knew that they could use it is a stick to can, is social control. Uh-huh. Right? So right, the passage of Dangerous Drugs Act right. 1967 yeah. was when it all changed here, yeah. and it does go into saying it about opiates being described, uh, prescribed sorry, by doctors, etc. But yeah. 1967 passage of the Dangerous Drugs Act. Yeah, yeah. so prior to that, what you, you were doing was is a contained problem. What we ended up with, what, what happened in our area was, right, was a boy... Uh, I'll not say his name, but his name would be well known to everybody in Postal because he was the first drug death, the first heroin overdose. It was a guy that was a year older than me, mm-hmm. right, uh, at my school. Excellent football player, well-liked in the area, uh, and he died of a heroin overdose. Now, not only did he die of a heroin overdose, but the boys that sold him the heroin had cut it. All things with battery acid, right? Why? What they'd done is, they see the, the sheets... Why they done this, I don't know. It's a bizarre, crazy idea, because if you're going to cut drugs, you shouldn't really be cutting them with small amounts of stuff. What they done was is that they took the stuff out, and when you take a battery, the the, the material in it, if it dries out, is white powder. Right. So they cut it how with this. How did they know that? I don't know how they knew that, but that's what they done. They, no, right, they, that, and this boy went up a close, bang, did, right? And that caused a reaction in our area to... Uh, a response, we're not having this. We ended up with a public meeting, uh, like 500 people there. Uh, wow. and Do you remember that? Eh? 
Oh, well, that's, yeah, I, yeah. I was involved in it. Yeah. Uh, so I, was, I, I went along and the next stage of that was... What age, was, was, what age were you then? At that time I was 15. Just f- uh, 15, going on 16. Uh, and go and basically get asked by the organisers of the meeting, because I spoke at the meeting uh, about my own experience and my brother being a heroin addict. Uh, and I get asked to attend a further meeting, uh, a sort of steering group. What led out the steering group was that we set up a drug centre, right? Mm-hmm. So again, this was the first, it ended up the first independently set up voluntary community-based drug rehab in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first community, how, say... How did you approach that? <laughs> it was a bit mad, actually, because it ended up, I mean, it gave me a, my first real eye for uh, how politics really works and how communities work and how community organisations work. Uh, the, so what had happened was is that uh, it was a response for the, the churches in the area. Uh, we, we ended up, the organisation in the, the place we set up was called The Place, right? Mm. Now, at this point, I didn't know what... The, it was an acronym. It stood for Postal Lady and Community Endeavour, right? Mm. And it was... Uh, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to respond to it? Uh, and so initially what we done was we took care of St Matthew's Churches uh, in Balmore Road and we opened the door saying we will offer help to people. Now a guy I'd mentioned a minute ago who had been one of the community workers in our area, a guy Mick Kennedy, Mick had been a heroin user. Do you know, do you know see, see what you're talking about this, right? I want to be a load of guys in their kind of late 40s and that, right? And it doesn't even amaze me now, talking to you, how many of them, that's pretty sure terrible, how many of them guys that I've encountered have been fucking heroin addicts, yeah. right? And now when you're obviously talking about uh, the, the background of how all that came about, yeah. uh, and I always thought, oh man, I can't believe that guy used to take smack, yeah. right? And then you see another guy and you're like, he took smack and all, and some of them were like, oh, we were into punk stuff, yeah. we were just taking smack, we were skinheads, we were all taking right. smack, and you're like, ah, Jeez, oh man, they were all taking smack. Don't get me wrong, these are all guys that survived it, but there must have been fucking loads of people Same. taking it. Mm. Guys, especially, no no so much, I wouldn't say uh, people who are well-educated, but people who are only fucking stupid. You know what I mean? It's, it, it becomes a, a, um, a kind of a, a community problem. They're going like that, because, I'm sorry for being fucking cynical, but they could just go like that, open the doors of the fucking scheme and go, smack, throw it in, and just see what happens. You know what I mean? Well, that's and that's exactly what happened. Well, that's right? what happened. It's basically exactly what happened. In, in our area, I mean, I, I never seen it as stark, right? As I say, we, we ended up setting this up. <coughs> we started out where it was a drop-in. What do you need? What help do you need? How did you see when you started that? Because you were the first one there. You must have had some kind of idea of what you were doing. Was there a blueprint no, or something else? No, I didn't have an idea. Or... I was only a kid, remember? Aye, but, but I was, like, I was again... Seen... Who no, there was you open the door and uh, you open the door and you let people in. We're going to help you. You're saying right. So the people who were who were like the nuts and bolts working in there, yeah. did they have like an idea of whether no. they? How could not you help? First, you not know? at first. What had happened was is it was a church led thing. Uh, the Episcopalian church and uh, the Catholic church. Mm. I mean, the not to denigrate anybody, right? But I mean. If these people were your community leaders, you were in deep shit, right? Because they were deeply flawed individuals, mm. right? And I'll no name them, right? But they were deeply flawed individuals trying to respond to something, which was or fair ch- enough. The church, the church, the, the, the priest and the, the minister that was involved, Aye. right, had their own issues. And 
I'll tell you half air who they, they are. Yeah, right? but they don't really deal with reality in some well, cases. I know that they live in an airy, fairy fucking world. If these world. are the people that are charged with the first ever kind of program, I guess, of this kind to help the first kind of I wave, know, but they don't understand to it. help the first wave of addicts and stuff. How, they, they don't understand well, it. Well, it's good help? that they're trying to help, but they well, don't understand it. They need to listen. The, it was the, the willingness that you can't uh, take away from them the willingness to respond, right? And I'm not taking that, that away from them. But in terms of what they were actually facing and the reality of what was coming, they had no idea. They didn't realise that people would rob the fucking chalices for the church, basically. The, the, the person I was talking about, Mick Kennedy, who had worked as a community leader, had went to his bosses in the council, probably about fucking 79 or something, and said to them, eh, he's going to face a heroin epi- epidemic, right? Mm-hmm. This is going to happen here. And they laughed at him. Oh, heroin's only something you see on Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> and didn't anybody fucking know anything about it, right? Just shut up. Don't talk about things like that. You're off your head, right? Away you go. Now, he knew about it because he'd been a bit of a hippie and had been a heroin addict. And initially, he wasn't directly... He'd been partially involved in getting the, the thing set up, but he wasn't involved directly in the day-to-day running of the mm. place. The first... And, and the reason for that is because it was the church and he was a Marxist, and it was the uh, social work department. This is how the social work department reacted, right? told you my brother's a heroin addict. Yeah. My brother went to the social work department in our area and asked for assistance with his addiction, right? Very early on, into, it, into his own personal problems with it, and they locked him in the room. Or they, mm. <laughs> that was the response. Cold That's turkey. how we're going to deal with it, right? They never had a clue, and they wouldn't listen to anybody that did have a the clue. The other thing is, though, they, they're, no, they're not tackling the social problem to begin with. What they're no. doing is they're trying to tackle the fucking addiction of the person, rather than saying, by the way, there's a whole complex thing happening here right. that's created the heroin influx, that's created But for the, every the one addi- person the that they help, there's, there's three or four getting created in that same community because really, they're no getting to the root really of the take problem. it right back to the start, didn't you? And well, fucking- that's the point. I think the point you're getting at is, is the problem isn't the heroin. Right, it's the fucking exactly. area. It's the social deprivation. It's the fucking wreck, the car wreck of a community that you've been faced with, and and again, and it's not an accident. No, you get a lot of people. Like, oh, a lot of good people come out of that area, and I'm not denying. Obviously, a lot of good people did stay and did stay and come out of Postal. I mean, Amando Anucci is for Postal, right? Uh, oh, a Veep guy? Aye, he's the postal. Oh, well, you know, he's the Veep guy now, but he was... Aye, so he's Arnold Partridge. When I say he's a postal boy, he didn't go to school in the area, aye, but he stayed in Park Coast, right? Aye, so he lived in that community. John McCallion, the MP, is a postal boy. John McLaughlin... John the musician. Yeah, uh, yeah when he went to school with his aye. sisters. Uh, a lot of... No, Frank McAvaney, a lot of... There's people, no, people that have known today quite well, and people obviously... Uncle Davey. <laughs> well, it's a boy in my, my class at school. Yeah, a, a boy in my class at school, Bernard Crow, is the chief pathologist in Scotland. Oh, right, nice. so he's a contemporary. Me, oh. obviously, his life went some other direction from what my life went. Oh. So I'm not saying wholly that there wasn't any possibility for people to find a route out that didn't involve crime or criminality or any of these sorts of things. But that's taking on board the idea that somebody say like Bernard had got an education and got a university uh, education. Very few of my contemporaries were getting university educations, right? Including myself. So it's what choices you then make, what opportunities is there to see, open to you? The, the, there is, obviously, when you talk about opportunities, it's open to you. I, I'm guessing that, 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 see, without getting a degree and stuff like that, there are 
there are steps that you can take and things that you can do to actually make a change without actually, oh, I've got a degree, I'm well educated. Uh, what you can do is you can you can be articulate. You can and and you can you can uh, you can know you can have the the knowledge of the 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 situations. And I'm guessing that's where obviously how you I mean. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass, but you're quite an articulate guy. Um, and you have obviously, uh, we know you've not got a degree, so you have managed to obviously be articulate enough and know enough about what's going on to get yourself into different uh, p- positions where you can make a change. Well, I mean, that's really what I'm talking about. It was an encouragement to can ask questions was the main thing. And a willingness to say, no, I'm not happy here, explain this to me. Even stupid things. I used to get into trouble a lot, even with, like, say, my brother and other people. If you get pulled with the police, it would be, right, this is routine and we're going to go through it. I'd be like, hold on a fucking minute, why are you asking this or what are you doing this for? Or, mm-hmm. And it was, then the police would get angry and want to give you a slap. Worse, uh, and then I was getting told, just shut, shut the fuck up. No, I couldn't shut the fuck up. I got a tug last night uh, off the bastards. Uh, you did, uh, no, well, I know. I was on the phone to him and he's like, hey, hang up, hang up. <laughs> right. So I'm driving along, right? On the phone to him, totally hands free, nothing to worry about. A brand new cubot. <laughs> hands free and a tough. Where, where are we getting to here? Is this uh, another? Are we going to do another line? No, no, that that was blazed with that right, one. Sorry. Uh, no, so I'm driving along, and I says to him, "Oh, there's a siren behind us. You could hear it blaring. You know, it's miles away." And I seen it at the bottom of the hill, and I'm like, that. "Okay." So I drives up, and, I, uh, and it's still right behind me, but it's two lanes, and, and the fucking police. To me, everybody's come into that lane, the, the the lane behind me. I'm expecting the coppers to pull out and go by us all and up towards Castle. Well, something like that. Well, the real trouble happens. That's where they usually go. I know it sounds terrible, but that's where they fucking usually go. So I'm driving up and I'm like, ah, right, I need to turn here. I says to him, here, you're not hang up. They cunts are following me. Right? So I was like, ah, just looking in the, looking in the mirror. Because you're corner, sure enough, they come right round behind me. So I takes a right. I'm not trying to get away from it. It's been a state. Right? So I takes a right. Get up towards my house. Right? Get up towards it. This is the street kind of runs up just a line from my house. So it takes a right and they come round there and all. So I says, fucking hell, I better pull you. And they're like that to me. Don't move. They've jumped to it, right? The motor's in the fucking middle of the road. Don't move. Stay exactly where you are. I says, where's the fuck's going? I says, you just want me where the fuck's going on? Just at that, another police motor comes round the corner. Mm. Your light's all flashing. Hey. And I'm standing there like that. And he goes, just uh, turn around and face your car. Standing there like fucking dumb right? Toretto so and I'm Fast like, and Furious. So, <laughs> so I'm like that. The fuck's going on? The two coppers come out now. The tourists, the tourists go out to begin me. They've kind of started charging towards it. No charging, but mar- marching with intent towards me. I'm like, the fuck's going on? The other two coppers go out and they run up to catch up with them. And they turn around and go, oh, Sorry, mistaken identity. <laughs> right? The man my sister says he must have noticed there was a baldy guy and they weren't looking for a baldy guy, right? And they went, mistaken identity. And I went like that, mistaken identity. And I like, I sorry about that. And I turned around and I went like that to him. I fucking shot myself there. <laughs> right? I says, I was wondering what I'd done. And he says, a car fitting this description was involved in a disturbance earlier on. And I went like that. And he says, we seen you in the bottom of the hill. And I went... Well, was it me? No, no, it was a mistaken identity. I says, fucking hell. And I went, well, you know what they say, if you can nothing to hide, what were you worrying about? That's yeah. what I said to him, I don't know what well, was he see, about? Do you know, this is the thing with the police right now, I always say this. 
Why is it when you see the polos you think, oh fuck, there's the polos? You don't I think. Don't. No, mate. You, you don't. don't. No, never. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> right. I've never done anything wrong. Wait, wait a minute. I've done it. I've done it. Right. We're going to go on to why that's no right, an exactly. appropriate thing to say. Wait a minute. So when I turn around and I say, oh fuck, there's the polos, I do that all the time. Right. Fuck, there's the polos. Right. That is that is my mindset when I see the polos either follow me in a motor or anything. And my motor's fully fucking legit. Right, yeah. and I'm like, oh fuck, there's a pose behind us. Now, that is what I think. I don't think, oh good, there's a pose coming to protect us. Or that's not what I think. But that's what you pair. should think. No, because I don't need protection for anything unless I'm, I'm in a situation where I know I'm going to need them. But I listen, I've had words with the oh, pose myself. Being a taxi driver, double parked on fucking Ashton Lane, right? <laughs> at Ashton Lane, and I had the, the police van cut behind us, beep beep, right? And he turns around, beep beep. And he's looking at me, I said, so I, 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 I swear to God, this is true. I turned around and says, where the fuck do you want me to go? Out the motor. So I go to the motor and I turned around and says, you can't he talk to us like that? I said, look, pal, I'm picking up an old woman here. It was, it was an old woman, thank fuck, it was an old woman with like a walker thing that made me look a wee bit better. Coming out of one of the restaurants in Ashton Lane, she had to kind of double park and it's just one lane there. I said, well, where do you want me to go? So he ended up, uh, I spoke back to him a wee bit, but he was all right, he was cool about it, he says, like, we understand, and he didn't give me a ticket or nothing like that, so he's fine about it. So I've always got the opinion well, where the police are all right, they're, they're, they're no, I, I'm not going to nah. feel the police, I'm totally legit. Right, well, listen, here's my... I he, spoke back to him, he pulled me out the motor, he gave me a wee bit of a fucking thing, me, and I deserved it because I, I spoke back tell, to him. I couldn't tell, listen, you didn't deserve it, first of all. I did deserve it, I swore at the police, you shouldn't swear at the police. Swear the police, no offence. Exactly. I know, but by the way, swear at everybody. Why and earth would there be any difference? Swear at the Polish course, can swear at the Polish. My granda swears at the Polish. That's what I'm saying. It's it's not like I'm saying it was, but I I didn't mean to swear at the Polish, but I did swear. That's why he pulled me. That's why he pulled me. So I was all right. I was cool. I was fine. Didn't do anything wrong. I was well. I was in the I was in a CID motor, and the Polish shouted, "Stop! Stop shouting to me!" I said, "You fucking stop shouting to me, then, and don't swear either, or what? Don't swear or what?" They're like that. Yeah, just wait. You don't realise how serious this offence is. Mm. Oh, we'll fucking see about it when we get the thing. But, the, but the thing is, the, the, I know, he's biting his tongue here. <laughs> and the reason he's biting his tongue is because, do you know what? what? The, the police are supposed to be defenders, not I'm that, glad and, and, here. and prevention. I'm one of the people who's glad that the police Listen, are Listen, I work for the Miscarriage of Justice organisation, and I'm glad they're here as well. Mm. That's not the point. Right. That's not the point. The point is, is if there's problems... It's how do you examine the problems that are created when there's failures? And if you don't examine what creates the failures and just go, oh, doff your cap to authority and ex expect everything will be okay. Well, we kind of can know that's bullshit because what have we had? I mean, you might talk about, do you might talk about Hullsborough? Do you might talk about Orgreave? Do you might talk about who the police belong to and, and what function they serve in any community that they're in? In my community, they weren't there to serve and protect me. They were there to contain my community and ensure that we didn't spill out of the community and cause any problems to our betters <laughs> at the end of the day, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's exactly how they treated you, right? At the end of the day, and I had that fear. My experience growing up as a kid was you get treated like shit with the police. They, they lied about you. They, a, mm. a beat police would lie about a child. What are they going to do? Where did the police that make stories up about 
kids doing stupid things, right? Yeah. And no, I'm talking about really stupid things when you're a kid getting pulled up for fucking nothing at all. Stealing mail trams. Right? But you're going to say, I'm not saying stealing anything. I'm saying they've not done anything. But they'll fucking, they'll put a jacket on you for something. I can't believe the polls, the one thing. People are going to believe the polls because you say that. But that's the point. But where does that polis go that will lie at that? Uh, stage where does it end up where, where does the police that pulled me when I was a kid and lied about me as a, a kid and now I, I do go back to still saying I'm not saying I was a perfect child or anything and never done anything that should have brought me to the notice mm. of the police but I pretty soon know, knew that it didn't matter whether you'd done something or hadn't you done something if a police says you've done it you've done it we, and at the end of the day that, that was the me, law me and, my mates, me and my mates years ago we stayed in drum chapel, right? And you walked across the park, uh, uh, Cahoon Park, you walked across Cahoon Park and through Bears Den and that took you to Blockbuster Video, right? Now they shut down the fucking video shop up in Drum Chapel Road, right? So we used to go to Blockbuster. So we were walking across the park, right? And you could drive onto the ash pitches with, with any motor. That's just the way it was, right? You could do that. So we were walking across the pitches, right? And we're going to the fucking video shop or maybe we're coming back, right? And the pole was pulling. Where the fuck do you think news are gone? How dare you go to Bears then? Right? And we're like, that. what? Where are you gone? He says, we're going to get a video at the video shop. And my mate pulled out his me. No, you're no. Well, what? We've been hearing about break-ins over here, in this uh, area. And I'm like, that. well, we're not going near that area, mate. We're walking right across these pitches and over there, through that tunnel, and we're going mm. to the me. No, you're no. Just turn back around. Get back into your own scheme. You know, we've seen that as, as good that the police are vigilant that if there is break-ins that they're actually checking people when they're... They're sending three innocent guys going to get a video, him. I've seen a, in our scheme, one, in one year, I think we had something like 300 houses. There'd been 390-odd house breakings in our scheme, so who was getting protected? And we, everybody knew who was doing things, mm. right? We weren't, fuck what, sake, is the, what is the reticence they talk to the cops? Why do people know why to do that? Why because they'll you up, and they'll beat you up. <laughs> Is it pretty obvious? No, why, no, like, why, if you see something happening, if you know that so-and-so is breaking into houses, why don't you tell the police? Why, why no? Why do people no want to do that? I, I know. The laws of the scheme, man. Well, that's... No, asking you. Simple as I'm asking that. the oh, no, but, he's, but he's not rang there. I mean, yeah. growing up, if you step to a... That idea, the idea... The identity, no, it's us and name. It's us and name. And, and but if it's us no, no, how are you ever going to get any fucking no, help? No, how do you, no, you're not going to get help. You fucking organise the community and say, no, see, you fucking scumbag breaking into fucking Mrs. fucking Jonesy. Yeah, that's vigilante justice then, isn't it? It's, well, that was what, what is the police? Play. It's no fucking my justice. I didn't have any control over how the police would police my area. Mm. And they had no concern about how, yeah, how that would impact mm. on my area. Again, we go back to, to the idea of the, 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 the heroin area. See, in the early days of heroin, guys were getting 10 and fucking 15 years for a tenner bag. That's insanity. That mm. is insanity. Do you know what I mean? So, looking at a justice system, is it, are you going to get any fairness out of your justice system? It's fucking very unlikely if you come for an area... Aye, like a scheme area. Aye, right. So, so why do people not go to the police? Because they don't fucking trust them. Mm. Right? Fair, plain and simple. How simply. can that change? Aye. Well, how can it change? By people being involved in the organisation again. For me, it is about community activism, it is about putting Certainly not about community policing, but... Well, <laughs> maybe it is about community policing that's controlled by the community. Aye, but it's not. Right? See the guys that fucking find you for your dog doing a shite, not that? Aye, well, 
That's, that's see, wait, 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 Annie, I, do you I know about these guys see these community polls? I actually play football with a few boys at community polls, right? Who the fuck gives them their real name? Yeah. See, when they grab you for like, I used to be a smoker, right? Mm. And when you used to, when you would walk about the town and you'd fling your fag, right? And you want to put in a thing, they'd go and they oh, grab right, you and they get you a fine. They get you a fine and you have to write down your name. Yeah. Who the fuck gives it? I don't get how that works. How's that work? Well, most people will. When faced with Nobody will ever give their real name, so I don't, don't how, I don't know what's the point. You're the one that said you should trust the police, you're not even getting them That's community polis, that's the fucking <laughs> no, idiots no, with no, the high vision. But do you know what? Because you know it's actually quite interesting, the idea and what it's about, because there's studies been done on it. If I walk in here, if a guy walks in here with a white coat on, you're more likely to listen to what he's saying to you mm. than if he doesn't have the white coat on. Well, as a fa- well, it's true, because the studies have been done. The, the famous... Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not disputing I'm thinking for me. I would, I would be wary of a guy well, with a white coat. You'd be, well, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll say what I, why I'm, I'm mentioning it, because the study that was done uh, was to examine why did the, the camp guards uh, in Auschwitz and various other camps uh, take the orders and no, no react against it. So studies were done in Stanford University where they can sat people down in a booth <laughs> like that in there, right? And I, I say I'm sitting in here, I'm the subject. Yeah. They take you into that room in there. Mm-hmm. He's the man in the white coat and he says, right, what we're going to do here is you're going to sit down there, right? Uh, and we're going to ask this person uh, in the opposite room a series of questions. Mm-hmm. And as he answers the series of questions, if he gets a question wrong, this meter here, is uh, going to give him an electric shock. We start off at five volts, and and it's clearly displayed, right? Five volts, non-lethal, and it goes up to extremely dangerous, right? So as you go through each question, each question you get rang, you increase the voltage, right? So they start people... Ordinary people for every background and every, every way of life, right? Sat them in that room... And they proceeded with the experiment, and mm. so most people and faced with that would sit there, and you can go on YouTube you, well, and, and find it. the videos, right? Because it's been repeated on a number of occasions. The same experiment, a few TV shows, Dan and Browns oh, replicated right. it, and a number of other people. Most people, when faced with that, sitting there. Uh, so the questions asked: uh, What color is the sky? Or oh, the sky is green. Bzz, give him an electric shock, right? Mm-hmm. So people are quite happy at a certain level doing that, right? Mm. Nobody seems to question it too much. Uh, and as you go through and the questions and the shock gets Iron bigger Iron and you know it's getting Iron. bigger right yep. people are quite no no necessarily quite happy but what they start to do is to turn to the authority figure oh I see if it's uh, alright are, are you sure after do this is he going to be okay ah, I've told you now just please, please proceed with the experiment right because right, it's, it's, it's tailored as an experiment right yep. please proceed with the experiment right he's told me bzzz. and that's people Took this to the extreme. He so they could almost kill somebody. Well, they did. As far as and and in, in the experiment, what you had was is so. Next question: What colours the 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 grass? The grass is blue. This is a lethal dose at this point. Should I press it? You sure? Are you tell me to press. I press it. Bzzz. Fucking kill ourselves. Ask the next question. Uh, what is what is the fucking water made? No mm. answer. No response. Can't hear anything. You sure he's okay in there? Nothing, nothing at all. Because he's failed to answer, you need to give the, the next stage, press it again, right? And people, no, in 75% of the cases, the yeah. well, they were told. The guy got, just killed the person one, in the booth. You're, you're going to ruin the experiment if mm-hmm. you question this too much, right? Yeah. But it turns out 75% of people will Do proceed to the lethal dose. 
Right? Jesus, so people tend to look at authority and, and be truthful and, 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 and listen to what they tell you. Because I don't want to be the one that's getting in trouble. I'm not going to put myself, no matter what happens, mm. I'm not going to give you a reason to fucking look at me. So I'm well, going to do exactly what you tell me. See, if you were caught in one of the community polls, would you give them your real name? I don't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've not. I, I, wouldn't, I have on occasions not given my real name to the police. Right? So, Who has not? Right, so, the community police has not a big issue here. No, it's the real ones. I mean, <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what the police used to say in Drum Chapel? Before I would I used to say, Do you know how many John McFarlane's we've pulled tonight, pal? That's well, what they used you know, to say. I'll tell you a cracker, that boy we were waiting, he thought he was being fucking funny and he was just being stupid, and we all looked at him like, You are a fanny for this, right? What's your name, son? Nosmo, right? right. Nosmo! Nosmo King, right? <laughs> Bang! Don't fucking come that way. Me and I pissed myself, no, and go, ah, what did you say that to him for? No, the most stupidest fucking thing you could have ever fucking said. Did what the do you expect? Him? They don't know. No. Have you never seen it? No, Polish don't have people. Don't be ridiculous. They don't fucking hit me. I've never been pulled with a Polish. I was a Ned, I know. I never got caught. I've never done anything. You've only done it right then. I was Ned. That's crazy. The thing is, but you were fucking, you were a Ned uh, and you were living in fucking Dyke Road or something. I was the I was, I was first generation of the Neds that, that kind of existed that now have, have evolved into like fucking One Direction. Now. Do you know it's what like a, I, never, I, I, I wore say, jeans and I didn't wear the joggies. I didn't, I didn't fucking tuck the joggies into the socks or anything like that. I no. fucking hate that. Ned. With the term? Oh, I can't stand it, man. What is it? Non-educated delinquent. It's a bag of shite. No, for me, what it is, is it's anti-working class bollocks. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's self-hatred, people fucking using that idea. Any such fucking thing. Do you know what I mean? And, and if there so is, is... Is that your N-word? Well, it is. It is for me. It is for me. And, yeah. and, and it's not... I mean, see, politically, if you look at the direction where we've ended up, and we've got this angry white working class whole fucking idea. How did we get to that? We got to that because we had programmes like Shameless, mm, right? Aye. Where in the past we had a, 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 a strong cultural belief in ourselves yeah. as working class people, strong we fucking communities. Aye, right, fighting for, fighting for each other. We yeah. started to get this demonisation of, well, of the working class. We, yeah. we were talking about right? this. We so that's how I don't go with this fucking Ned idea because, again, that's basically what you're saying. Aye, okay, you might have people that are fucking daft, mm. right? You might have people that are fucking that daft that they harm themselves and harm others in their community, but the response isn't to demonise people, it's to say, no. well, we, how have we ended up here? Well, and, and then we all get tarred with the idea, these are all fucking neds, yeah. these are all scum, do you know what I mean? We were That's talking about I, this, I, I really uh, see, I've got, it's no sort of, I've not got any kind of highbrow pals or, or wanky pals or anything, but we were sitting talking about this, uh, one night, fucking, I think we were all steaming it anyway after a stag do or something. We were all talking about this, and it was boys on Ophi Bells Hill. Um, and we were talking about, you know, uh, po politics and stuff, and and the, uh, you know, the standard night with me. We were sitting talking about politics, and, and uh, we, Sean Farrelly, uh, you'll not mind me mentioning his name, he turned around the bell and he goes, What has this government done that the other governments had never done? What is it? It's fucking clever as fuck. And what have they done? And we're like, ah, he was like Dennis Skinner going bananas, right? So we're like, ah, what, what have they done, Sean? He goes, they've turned the working class against each you other. And we fell for mm. it. He says, and it's a fucking masterstroke. And by the way, it is. Mm. 
Of course, it's, it's, look at everybody else. Else, bar the fucking people that are people, robbing you. Do you know, do you know what annoys me? Do you know what annoys me? People sitting. I don't watch these stupid programs, Benefit Street and all that, right? Right, But people sit and they go like that. Did you see that Benefit Street the other night? That white D's get fucking. I don't even know who she is. I don't. You couldn't even tell you what she looked like. One of the people did. Right? Diane, can you do a wee bit? Did these people not become famous now? I, the stars of these shows. Yes, quite a few. One of them appeared in Celebrity Big that's Brother. What I'm like that's what I'm saying. Do you know what? See, last week we I Daniel Blake coming out. Uh, that's why Toby I was Young. Here to to, Toby Young done a fucking piece uh, and said, "No, we can't believe I Daniel Blake because there's not enough white D's in it." And you're going, what a... No, so, Ken, Ken Loach gained an accurate portrayal of fucking a, a problem that's been ongoing for 10, 15 years now is mm. attacked by using a stereotypical fucking monster Caricature. that's created on fucking... Reality on television. Extreme assholes that they've just put in front of a camera. Well, I mean, I mean, it's stupid fucking people allowing themselves to be exploited in but that way. Do you think but, that I, Daniel Blake, we've not seen I've not seen, no it, seen it yet. yet, but we're going to see it. Diana, see, have you seen it yet? No, I've not seen it. Who do we like on here? I've seen parts Paul. Yeah. You said we want to get Paul Hingmeyer. Oh, the writer, right? Yeah. Paul Avery's. We'd love, right, Paul Avery, yeah, right, love yeah. to get him Do you think that this movie is the kind of film that could be big enough and strong enough to hit? Because it seems to be everywhere they know and it seems to have no, grabbed something a wee bit. Dera, and no, they don't all hit like this though. Do you think this could the be something that... The one that Shakespeare Valley did. No. No, do you don't no. think this is the enough? The only thing that will change your community is... You and him and me organising ourselves yeah. in the way that we previously organised ourselves in order to get an NHS and an education system that served us. Do you think it's that, easier now with social media as well? No. No, I think no. it's le- less easier. Uh, because people no, are apathetic, like, distracted. They're fucking sitting in front of their... Let's sign a the change. Schools are there oh, for, for communities no, no, to no, fucking... No. The internet's like stoning shouting up a close. Exactly. <laughs> so I was, I've made this point before. People who have got these change.org, fuck that. Going out and marching in streets. Don't go at change.org. Momo saying change.org. Nobody gives a flying fuck. Well, do you know, I go even further than that. See, marching in the fucking streets. Marching in the streets changes nothing. It's interesting that you talk about Ken Loach and the effect that it might have because the first film that he came to know about was Cafe Come Home yeah. and it addressed the homelessness problem. Uh, and what they felt was, is, oh, we're going to have something happen here because the momentum's there. So what did happen there was is that uh, Ken Loach and the writer get called in to meet the minister at the time and oh yes giving reassurances we're going to do this that and the other and then that was fed back into the media oh the, the government have listened yeah. to the filmmakers did it change the problem? no it well, fucking changed not a single they thing they got lumped in a uh, kind of thing the kitchen sink drama and that no, kind of fucking does that know belittle what was happening a wee bit because everyone got labelled a kitchen sink uh, drama uh, maybe so but I don't know the, the point I was making was is the only real fucking way to change is by organisation yeah. no and expecting somebody else and expecting Ken Loach a filmmaker to change your daily circumstances is a bit of a fucking stupid thing to expect see the right? thing is we have all got so much in common with uh, each other as a society right and uh, I don't go with Margaret Thatcher shit there's no such thing as society fuck her right we all all got things in common with each other right but yet nobody seems to get together Talk about them and try and want to make a fucking difference about them. Want to turn change. Now I do know a few people like yourself, Paul, uh, like Peter Divers. I'm going to get a mention. Peter does a lot of work in the G15 group in the in Drum Chapel, uh, who try to set up kind of community initiatives. But again, for some reason, we're not going far enough. Do you know what I mean? We're no. What what do we do? 
With well, f- right, see for me, again, my background, as I've already said, is I've been involved in community activities since I was a kid, right? Majority of people involved themselves in community activity are the women. It's not a good thing. Right, really? right? By and large, it's women who organise uh, and go to meetings and come out at night and, and will go indoors. By and large, I'm not saying Why is that? Totally. Do you think women care, Mel? I don't know if it's a matter of caring. It's a matter of can you've got to accept that women are pretty oppressed as opposed to how, do they how men mere, are. Do they have more free time because they're not working? Oh, I wouldn't know. I don't think the. That's a joke. Really? <laughs> <laughs> are you listening? Is he in the house? I am. Still in the house? She's got fucking eight jobs. No, the, the, I think the, certainly for working class women, working class women have always been at the forefront of struggles. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the first rent strike in Glasgow during the war was done led by Nan Barber, partially because men were away fighting in the war, but it was the women in the areas in Glasgow that stood up and said, we're not taking your shit. And you come near or close, we'll beat the shit out of you and chase you <laughs> up the road, do you know what I mean? And there's a case recently in Mexico where, uh, sorry, in Colombia and all the problems, they had drug cartels going backwards and forwards and yeah. it was the women of the village. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, they realised this meeting was going on. The village women got together, kidnapped all the drug barons, put them in a big thing and said, that's it, enough. Wouldn't you let them out? I don't know. And now, now the Neither women are actually in control of the town and uh, they're slightly out with Colombian laws and they refuse to let <laughs> anything to do with the drug and now like they've got better education. Uh, but is it because people respect violence, do people respect that? women more? In this society people no, respect no, no, women. No, 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 I don't no, think no. so. No, no, I just mean well, see the thing is right. No, I, I think what it is is it's women turning around saying, We've not taken any mere shit off you. Fuck off. And that's what it is. So what are you going to do? Fucking, you need to murder them all. Well, that's and what I'm saying. And they're quite willing to stand up and say, well, come ahead. Oh, I've taken enough shit. Ah, I don't right. need to, to worry about the shit you're going to give me. Because, mm. see, see, they think that a woman can defuse a situation better than a guy. See, like, say, bouncers and all that. Uh, see if a woman goes like, all right, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's going to fucking wander a woman in the face. Well, you, listen, I know, I know, but, but put it this way, see if a big bouncer come up to me and he started going, blah, 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 I'd try and bite his nose, right? But, 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 if, but, <laughs> but if, a, if a female bouncer come up and goes, listen, mate, you've had a bit much to drink, um, I'd be like, no, all right, all right. But that, again, that's mere today with your attitude towards what women, eh? pretty patronising, is it not? I know, eh? fucking you. No, all right, all right, don't you can no. say what you want to me. No, it's not that. Well, why, why are you attacking, both of them are doing the same job, aren't they? Aye, but, so but, why do you want to fight with a guy and not I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest I'm going to tell you right now because testosterone uh, right well. a, a fucking a guy coming up to see maze bouncers that I've ever been in any bother with I've encountered they have usually been wankers right and for some reason a woman can tend to defuse the situation better they've got fucking uh, well f- female oh, bouncers female bouncers anyway well you've never fucking fought a female bouncer <laughs> No, I've, I've never lived. Never. Never. I've never lived. Oh, fuck, I know. Listen, listen. <laughs> it, it, it's, I know what you're nice saying. Food, <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you're saying. It, it does sound patronising, but but uh, I've never. Don't get me wrong. I'm no fucking some mad guy who just starts biting bouncers in the nose. I'm just. Do you say that? No, no, no. I'm just reacting here. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not a fought with bouncers, but it was on equal terms. <laughs> <laughs> but but I don't know for some reason I don't know because I respect my mom. 
I don't know. Here's something along the lines. Listen, I want to take some of the heat off of my fucking my podcast partner here. I'll take some of the heat back off you. Just sit there. I don't think that women should be pose uh, like two women uh, together walking the beat. I don't believe that should happen. No. I don't think it's safe. But that's not what we were talking about. We're talking Aye, about he's talking about... about no, 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 hold on. We're talking about women organising. Ah, right? I know what, what he's talking let, about. Uh, let's stick to the positive right. idea of women Good. in their community organising themselves right. Aye, so what rather else? than fucking no, no. having to bite women's noses off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what... what <laughs> was... uh, sorry, no. Oh, we need to go here. I'll bite your nose off. I'll bite your nose off. Fuck, lads. Yeah, I've known a few women to bite my fucking nose off. Maybe so, but we were trying to get to an idea of how communities respond that's what I'm saying. Why, why, how, how, what, what is it that, that uh, women... Why is it that people well, are reacting to simple, women? No, no, are they reacting forget, to no, these women? Forget that. Forget that. Why are you no politically organised? Why are you no... Because see the people that organised to get us the NHS and to get us the education system and to get us the, the welfare state and all the... And the union rights and everything else that we had... They all worked as well. They all took time out of their fucking hard life to go because they had no fucking alternative. They wanted to see a change in society. How do you get a change in society? Be creating a change in society. No waiting for somebody next door or somebody along the street or somebody fucking with a rosette on their, their, their tap to organise for you. You've got a duty. If you think this isn't gone right, it's your duty to change it. Nobody else's. So why are you not changing it? Because he's got Netflix. So you make your choices? No, I'm not meaning point that directly <laughs> used to you. That's a great point, right? no, no. But the point is quite fucking simple. We can all sit there on the internet and on Facebook and talk about everything all we fucking want. Put your fucking computer down. Put your iPad down. Go and chat your neighbour's fucking door and say, what do you think about this? You won't have a conversation with the people. Maybe you don't stay up a close anymore. No. Right? But you won't go and have a conversation with people. You won't... Well, that's what I'm saying. That <coughs> I, I fucking outed myself as being apathetic yeah. right? I know I know but that's what I'm saying in recent, so. of recent times yeah. that I settled down I had wains it's all that fucking oh I've got the house and I've got the wains I've got the motor and I'm fucking sitting doing meals every night and I'm yeah. and, 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 and I became apathetic and, but and, but what what then happened is uh, a, a, a trigger I sat there and I've been like man I used this isn't me this isn't what I used to be mm. and, I, and, and have I forgot my old ass I get fucking scared of that mm. I get scared of people saying you forgot your old ass right Okay, and, and I'm by no means a fucking wealthy guy, and no fucking means it, but but I, I did become apathetic to, to us. By the way, I'm for a fucking scheme. You know, even though I'm not living in the scheme anymore, it doesn't mean I should just forget what happened in, in the fucking 80s. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I, I was sitting and I, I read a thing on, on, on social media, uh, and it was about uh, this spoken word uh, thing happening in uh, the Castle Milk. Uh, community community centre youth complex I went up there and I walked in and the mad thing was see when you walked in see to the left one side to the left one side in this, this uh, centre is a bunch of wains right and I say wains they're not wains they're fucking 16, 17, 18 now you're telling me you were involved involved in community community activism mm. when you were like 13, 14, 15 I walks in there and they're all sitting there right and see through to the right hand side there's a kind of theatre room and I walks into the theatre room and there are a few people who I would call awake more awake what the fucking is going on, right? The other ones are sitting listening to Justin Bieber on the fucking, on their jukebox um, in the wee room, right? And there's something on the telly. Now that's, again, distraction techniques, but uh, but that's what people are choosing today. So they're doing that, right? And uh, and 
uh, in this wee theatre area, right? I walks in, and as I say, there's a few people who are youngsters who are more awake. One wee guy's a fucking rapper, crying wee guy, sitting talking to him. There's a few uh, young lasses as well that are into uh, poetry and stuff, and I'm sitting and listening to them, and they've got a big bit of paper on the flare, and they're talking about class and the class system, right? Mm. Now I'm sitting there, and I'm looking about myself, and I'm talking away to, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Anne Lynch I was talking to, and Andy oh, Lynch. Anne Lynch. Aye, it was Andy Lynch's Fedrum Chapel's sister, mm. right? It was, it was mm. peculiar, but I'm sitting, and I'm sure I'm talking about her, and, uh, and uh, I'm going to mention Kira McLean, and all she's there. So I'm talking about them, and, uh, and I'm saying, how the fuck can we engage people? How can we get see all kids in there? How can we get all them in here? People have become comfortable. We are, are are accepting of shitness. But no, because what it's not necessarily that people see for me. How do we one, engage one, them? Well, one of the other things I was involved in uh, was about is it fifteen odd year ago now. We campaigned in Govan Hall, right? And what we done was is began to do a community survey. Right, because what we were recognising was is that the Labour Party had abandoned the working class. That was our conclusion. Right, uh, they'd walked away, and if that was going to happen, then the working class was going to go somewhere. Right, and require a political voice. So the argument was being made that a, politi- a political vacuum was going to be filled, uh, and that political vacuum would either be filled for the left or the right. Mm-hmm. So in order to fill it, how do you fill it? How do you create a political organisation? How do you create a community organisation? You do that beginning out and talking to the people that you want. Chairman doors. Yeah, so that's what we've done. We went run every single door in that area and spoke to every single household and said, what's the problems in the area? What's going on? Uh, what's going wrong? No, people by and large want to talk to you. This whole idea that people are apathetic, I don't buy that for a minute. What's happened is, is that we've lost the organisation and the organs that allowed us to have a voice, right? We, lo- we lost... The, the spaces in which people had the ability to talk and organise. So oh, right. what, what do we need to find? We need to find places where we can talk and organise again uh, and, and to begin to create common cause and to show, well, they're doing this to you running your street, and, but they're doing that to you running your street and you just don't even fucking talk to each other. And and you look for 10 million different reasons to blame this, that and the other, whereas if you maybe fucking had a common connection with each other, you might then start to put two and two together and say, that's how this is happening, so maybe I should do A, B and C to change things. What's your ideas are changing it? What's your ideas are changing it? Your view was basically, what we were looking to do was, and it might sound really fucking stupid, right? But see, the most basic things that are wrong, it might be that the the cleany only cleaning the backs up, right? Well, let's go on to the fucking cleany and say, we stay here, we demand that this happens. We pay our taxes, we pay our council tax, the job is to get that done, right? So get it fucking done, right? Where you can create small victories and empower people to say, no, actually, we can fucking make change here. You make change at the smallest of levels, Mm -hmm. but the next thing you do is you start to build and draw people into that. Well, you go for bigger prizes, don't you? So we're starting for anywhere, right? We're starting for anywhere. That's where we are the new. We've no political organisation, we start for fucking where we stone. 
and you try and win victories and you try and create solidarity amongst people. <coughs> to fucking, if you want to change a community, that's how you change see, a community, see the thing in my is, opinion. Um, and, but just to finish, the problem where we're at the new politically is is the, the left in this country have failed the working class miserably because they're shit scared of them. Where we're at the new and why we ended up with Brexit and why we have all this uh, fucking every time you turn the telly on you get somebody in fucking Yorkshire decrying their black neighbours or the Polish neighbours or whatever it's because the Labour Party abandoned the working class and left them to the fucking right wing and the left failed to organise itself well enough to go in and offer solutions to the problems that people were facing because they were fearful of the people because they seen them as reactionary and they seen them as fucking a lower order biggest mistake the left ever made was to forget what its fucking actual constituency was and that's ordinary working class people and what they done was we splinter half in 10 different fucking 20 different directions and we've got fucking arguments about sexism racism fucking any number of other things and i'm not saying these things are the important but if all you ever do is talk about the issues to the detriment of the fucking core of who you're meant to know if you if you're a marxist you believe that the working class are the key to the organ reorganisation of society, right? If you fail to organise that group, you can't ever get to your end goal of reorganising society for the better of people. And if all you ever do is concentrate on fucking niche ideas, right? You, the left won a cultural war in the UK, right? But they fucking failed the economic war. That's how we've ended up where we've ended up. We now have no voice, no representation. And so, when somebody fucking gives you a popular idea, a populist idea, I mean, this is how fascism rose in the 30s in Italy and in fucking Germany and in Portugal and in Spain because the left abandoned the fucking working class, right? So we're facing the same thing as it stands in now. The only people that are making noises are the, the people making loud, loud, easy noises and blaming, oh, it's his fault, it's that fault. Donald right. Trump's. Right, exactly, but that's right. where it's coming from. It's the failure of the organisation. Do you think fascism's going to rise? I think fascism's already fucking, we're right so close to it, it's <laughs> no fucking true, and I don't think they'll ever be stupid again mm. as to end up with extermination camps, but they'll use other methods. A, a, amelioration of a population. I mean, there's a, the documentary done by David Simon, uh, The House We Live In, about America. The, 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 is that the guy who wrote The Wire? The guy who wrote The Wire. And and what he does is examine what happened to the, the black community mm. and how they were ostracised and ghettoised and why was that the case. And the conclusion that they come to in that is basically that it's genocide and everything but name, right? The, 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 the amount of people being sent to prisons in America is fucking astronomical. And if you're a white guy caught in the streets in America with a gram of coke, Right, you got a slap on the wrist, right? But if you're a black guy, you could face a lifetime in prison. Can we can we use that the now that we you, you're telling us now is to lead on to your work with the miscarriage of justice organisation? I know we've kind of skipped a few a year of what you've been up to, but <laughs> but you've been doing quite a bit. To be honest, um, the uh, the miscarriage of justice organisation, obviously, uh, I don't know how how did you come to be involved with that? Because when I knew you, obviously you were involved with other things and. Uh, and then, yeah, you, uh, obviously it's based in Glasgow. The Miscarriages Organisation is based in Glasgow. Yes. So uh, how did you come to be involved in that? My brother-in-law was ro- arrested for two armed robberies that took place in uh, Partick and Byers Road. And uh, so he was charged with it and went to the High Court. One of the charges got dropped. Uh, but he stuck to this charge that he'd robbed a bank on Dumbarton Road 
and uh, went through trial. Now, prior to trial, leading up to it, it looked as if the case was going to collapse because it was an absolute nonsense, right? Uh, basically, what we had found, uh, now this is meant to be the policies job, and this is the organisation that you have trust in, right? <laughs> so, what we found out, he's charged with a robbery. He goes to the High Court and he's convicted to this robbery, right? In the High Court, we brought a guy into the High Court, a guy called Michael Absalom, right? Michael Absalom is a, was a South African dude who was doing a series of robberies in the west of Scotland, right? Doing the Ayrshire Coast and then through Glasgow, eh, and he'd probably done eight to ten robberies. And in these robberies, what they were saying, each of the witnesses, when you began to examine the material and the cases, they kept saying, oh, it was a South African or an Eastern European that done it, right? In my, my brother-in-law's charge, there was 30-odd witnesses, 30-40-odd witnesses, all said uh, Eastern European or South African accent, no doubt about it, right? We identified Michael Absalom because while Billy was on remand in uh, the jail, somebody came up to him and says, there's a guy in the shower at the moment, I think you better go and have a word with him, right? So he goes in, it's Michael Absalom. After have a word with you, why? And the uh, guy says, well, you know, I'm in for robberies, right? Describes the robberies. Mm -hmm. The robberies are basically the 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 style of the robbery fitted what what my brother-in-law was in for, right? Uh, he would dress up. This guy would dress up as a workman. Yeah. He would put a doorstop in the door. He would go in with a handgun, single-handed, in a pouch, and, and rob the place, right? He was getting like eight grand, uh, eight and a half grand a, a, a turn in the place. So. We don't find all this suit for much much later on. Once we sat down with Michael and he explained what his sort of what he was doing, right? Mm -hmm. As it develops, right, because it, it gets these things get complicated. Mm -hmm. So, fucking Michael is charged with five robberies. I think it was five, six robberies. Uh, just the week before my brother-in-law goes to court, Michael is charged uh, and convicted. He pleads guilty. He takes a deal, right? The deal that is created for Michael was set up by uh, a QC uh, called Paul McBride. Now, Paul McBride was very well very, known. Very, well, very known, well known, right? Passed away now, hasn't he? Aye. <laughs> um, okay. That's another story. Right. Aye. Oh, right. right, so Paul McBride represents Michael Absalom. He also represents my brother-in-law. In a right? conflict of interest. Yes, and the week before my brother-in-law's trial, in a trial that... A fucking idiot, right? Paul McBride's meant to be the top QC in, in the country at the time. Uh, and he can't see that... Uh, or why can't he see that the, the series the of uh, robberies that he's got a deal for, this guy, is the exact, exact same, same here. Well, and why is, this, why is my brother-in-law being pulled into this, right? So a week before the trial, Paul McBride withdraws for the case. I'm not representing you. Because what my brother-in-law says is... is uh, I want to bring Michael Absalom into the court. Ah, right. You're not bringing Michael Absalom into the court. And if you bring, want to bring Michael Absalom into the court... Like no, well, I'm off. I'm out of this, right? So he quits a week before a high court trial for a, in a case that looked as if it was going to collapse because this information was there. We knew about it. We knew what was going on. Uh, but he quits, leaving him to get new representation a week before the trial. He ends up getting new representation. He was represented by Edgar Price, QC... So I sat through the High Court trial and I've never heard the biggest a biggest fucking mere pile of shite in my life. Right? No, again, 
he's found guilty at the end of the trial. Why was he found guilty? Because people will listen to authority figures before they'll listen to anybody else, right? Now, we brought the armed robber into the court <laughs> and he done everything bar say, no, what do you do, Mr. Absalom? I rob banks. How do you rob banks? This is how I rob banks. Did you rob this bank? Well, I'm not going to say if I robbed that bank, am I? Right? So we brought him in to the court and put him on into the witness box and it's up to the jury then to believe or disbelieve him, right? Which is fair enough. What the Crown's case was uh, was based basically on the photo ID of the robber, right? Now, the police that had said it was my brother-in-law that had committed the robbery, they said that independently they were walking through a police office uh, and looked up on the, the instant board and there's a picture up on the instant board uh, a man wearing a scarf up to his nose uh, and a hat down to his eyes and so all you can see is his eyes, right? And they identified my brother-in-law through that photograph. What they claimed was, independently of these two police officers, there'd been an instant at my brother-in-law's house and his missus had been in the street and a woman had been assaulted, right? And she brought the woman up to the house to clean her up, wash her face, whatever, put her in the living room and she's cleaning her up next thing police at the door. So my brother-in-law goes to the door, I what is it you want? We understand you've got somebody in there, we want to speak to him. And he says, well, she doesn't want to speak to you, so could you please go away? Fit in the door. And he said, look, I've just told you she doesn't want to speak to you, and I would appreciate it if he's leave. You're no fucking going anywhere. We want to speak to her, get her out here now. He's like, he's, I'm telling you now, he's only coming in here, you've got no right to come in here, I don't want you in here, uh, and he's only to go away. So that's two police. The next thing is van, a van load of them, up he's close, we're coming fucking in here, You, whether you like it or not, so he's still, I'm not letting these in, she didn't want any Davies, but fucking stand there and I'll go and talk to her. So you're like Gestapo stuff? Right, so he's been away and spoke to her, and the lasses, and she said, you're either going to need to fucking, no, something's going to need to happen here, right, so she decides, I will speak to him, right, so the police, she let, they let one or two of the police in, and the police speak to her and she says, oh, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. They had been to that door, they two police. That's the, the only time they had ever met my brother-in-law. Was that time? Was that time, right? And then, so the whole instant might have lasted in, 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 10 minutes or mm -hmm. so for, in, in terms of direct contact. Mm -hmm. Overall, I'm stretching, minutes, right, well, I'm stretching it. Well, I'm stretching it 10 yeah. minutes, right? So what they're saying is, is six months later, they're walking through an instant. I was going to ask you, what's the timeline then? Between that happening and then them seeing that photo right. of the robber right. and then connecting your brother is six months? Six months or so, right? So they police claim that, that they went to the robbery squad news too. So, so how many fucking people do they see every day? Instances exactly like the same one your brother in law was at. How many calls do they get every day of that six month period? And yet they can recall a guy that they saw six months earlier for a well, fucking. But the fact is that they couldn't, that's the point. Mm. Right? So, so they, why did they, 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 they say they did? Well, we don't know. I'll go on to explain yeah, this, right? So they've done that, right? They've identified him. Now in court, so the whole issue then becomes can we identify him as the, the person that they claim that he is, right? Because the name of the witness, I think maybe one other witness had picked. Did, no, did no, your brother look sorry. anything like this, Michael Absalom? No, they, nothing no. like him whatsoever. I'm saying the witnesses. There was two other witnesses, two people that stayed in our area, right? Two of them were in the bank that day, and the two of them pick them out for the, the ID, right? Mm. So that's corroboration. That corroborates the police identification. That allows them to proceed with the case, right? Yeah. But it all then falls on the cameras in there. Can the cameras identify him, right? And and actually, there was DNA found at the scene as well. Can oh, the sure. DNA identify him? 
So one the, the one guy, oh no, it's definitely him. I know what was that. I was looking eye to eye with him. I've got mi- uh, military training. I know what guns are. He identifies the gun. He gives all that stuff, right? Mm. Is he allowed to be a professional witness? Well, do you want to be a professional witness? See when you see him. See when you see him. He's a fucking madman. See when you see him in the fucking in the footage. All right, right. He's fucking under the table in seconds, <laughs> man. Yeah, really? Can he identify Can anybody? <laughs> and bear in mind again, and this is similar with the, the the other witness. This person claimed that he was terminally ill, so didn't he appear in court as a witness, but I positively identified my brother-in-law, mm. right? They identified him, but what was no asked to him uh, was, well, did you know him for anywhere? Mm. He's still fucking two closes away for you. No, no, no. He's in the bank, right? Mm. So that that's kind of clouded the issue, right? So they bring in... The case is based on the two people. That's how they go to move forward with it. That's how they go to move forward with it. And then oh, the examination man. of the CCTV evidence, right? So, you, so the CCTV... They measured the CCTV. Can he by be identified? Is he the same height? Uh, so the conclusion ends up on two points, and it was basically we can't rule him in, we can't rule him out on the CCTV, and on DNA evidence. Right when asked and they done the examination because of the type of DNA evidence that was available to them, we can't rule him in and we can't rule him out. So it's no positive and it's no negative, and it's up to the jury then to decide on the other issues. So what the crown did was. We had brain forensic experts, uh, photogrammacy it's called, right? right? They examine the material, uh, the pictures, uh, the distance, the measure, all these things are done. Our experts said, well, the person in this uh, is a particular height. It turns out it was the exact height of Michael Absalom, <laughs> obviously, because <laughs> yeah. it was Michael Absalom, <laughs> right? And Billy was a couple of inches shorter. And so we proved that again. We proved that in court. The Crown bought a guy in who, for two days, right, uh, I am the top uh, expert in this field, and started to ramble on all this shit. What he came out with, see the deck of cards, you remember the deck of cards to identify the Iraqi regime? Oh my God, right? He was the guy that done that, right? He oh, set that really? all up. I can uh, pinpoint on the back of an air, uh, an air carrier uh, one individual from three miles up, we're using this technique, blah, 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 blah. He couldn't fucking identify Michael Abflom at the end of the day, right? Where we had brought the robber into the court, right? (laughs) So the point is, is that we've went in, that's justice for you. This guy's been represented, he's been ditched, he's the guy that's been meant to develop his defence, who's representing the guy as the armed robber and must have known that there was a connection but failed to act, right? So that's a defective representation, Right? So we're in, uh, he's convicted, we've had all this shite, this flimsy fucking circumstantial story, and it's up to the jury then to decide. Why did the jury decide? Quite obviously, they, they wanted to believe that the authorities couldn't possibly get what it wrong. What was the decision that they came Oh, he got convicted. No, Michael convicted. convicted to get a nine-year sentence for armed robbery. Right, so he's convicted. Michael Absalom for the five robberies he done, the deal that he got, he mm. got eight years. Right. For five. For five, and, and my brother-in-law got nine for something he did in a day. So, quite unusual in these cases. I, at that time, as Stevie has alluded to, I worked for an organisation called West Glasgow Against Poverty, yep. and that was a community-based organisation that we'd sat, set up and ran for ourselves. So I'd done welfare rights, and I'd done, basically, it wasn't just welfare rights. If you came into your office with a problem, I'd try 
align with the people that I worked with today, whatever we could to try and resolve the issues for you. Mm. So to that end, when my brother-in-law uh, went to prison, uh, he wanted me to be a liaison with his new solicitor uh, to try and develop evidence to, to show his innocence. Uh, and to that end, I went to the Miscarriage of Justice organisation and raised his case with him. Normally in these cases, what I've subsequently found out, and I knew this anyway because I'd been, obviously, I'm politically aware and mm -hmm. I've, I've known what's been on in terms of the Birmingham 6, the Guildford 4, Maguire 7 and a whole slew of cases after that, uh, Stephen Kisco and a number of other people whose convictions had been quashed, leading for the, the release of the Guildford 4 onwards through the early 90s up to the mid-90s, a lot of people had been released. And, and it showed there had been a lot of issues in relation to fitting people up. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was well aware of that. But my role was to be a liaison. I would visit uh, Shorts Prison every Tuesday morning and take notes and what do you want me to ask? And I'm your eyes and ears and I'm going into the lawyer. So I went away doing the first time I went down to the lawyer and basically the lawyer's, who the fuck do you think you are? Because I've got the pen out and pen and <laughs> paper out and the recorder and he's sitting going... I fucking think you all know what's mm -hmm. going on here. So I'm talking about him. It's Liam O'Donnell, his name is. I got you know, after that subsequently, subsequently got to know Liam quite well, and he always says, "You, you loony pulling that out of me in the middle of my office." No, but that's that's what I said to him. I said, "Look, at the end of the day, I'm no, I'm no sitting here as Paul McLaughlin. I'm sitting here as my brother-in-law. Yeah. He can't be here. This is what he wants to ask. This is what he wants done. Thank fuck." What happened was is that Liam straight away ended up winning lawyer of the year for this, right? Is that? Aye. Uh, see the the doorstop that had been used. I say this was a regular thing. It had been aye, used. Okay. Now we knew there was DNA there, right? Aye. But the DNA couldn't rule my brother-in-law out of the case, and it couldn't rule him in. And also the same for Michael what Absalom, right? It, well, this is what happened was is what Liam said to us was is that we've got one shot. Right, we've got one shot of this. See the DNA that remains. It's such a little Small amount. amount. They can only that process it we one can time. only do it one more time. Right? It's fucking nerve wracking. So we're at that point, and he's applied for the appeal. And what it's called is, is when they examine it, it's called a sift. They examine the material. Is there enough information here for us to refer your case to the appeal court? And uh, his case was refused. Right? On the first sift, we were told no chance you're not getting an appeal. No enough here. There's nothing to say. No evidence. No. Uh, to, in order to go to appeal, it needs to be completely new evidence, oh. right? That wasn't available at the time of trial, right? So, bit of despondency there. Uh, normally in these cases, it can take anywhere. It's no uncommon to have two or three appeals. It's no uncommon to send spend anywhere between five and thirty years in prison for crimes you don't commit. My brother-in-law was in for on for the time he was uh, held in remand to the time that we successfully won the case uh, was a year on, right? For his conviction, it was six months for his conviction to be well done. Con conviction washed. Well, done, well yeah. it wasn't done to me, it was done to Liam O'Donnell, well, well, right? Well done. Well, this was that's the and, and I'll talk about that in, in a minute. We, we, what his reaction it was. So he's sitting there, we look as if we're not getting anywhere with it. And Liam's took the material and said, No, we'll get this examined and, and we'll see what comes of this. So 
Lo and behold, he goes away and they get it examined and the DNA that they extract for it uh, says that it's a, is it 58 million to one chance that this DNA belonged to anybody other than Michael Absalom. <laughs> Wholly exonerating Billy, mm-hmm. right? So the Crown still said, no, 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 you could have told us that, you could have done that at any time. Uh, uh, so we're no taking this, what? right? We're maintaining the, we want to hold on to the conviction. There's fucking so, DNA evidence. Well, what it, what it took was, was uh, the guy that prosecuted him was a guy called Jock Thompson, QC, right? And we've got Edgar Price, QC, representing him. Liam O'Donnell, Jock Thompson and Edgar Price went to the Crown and says, uh, we're not having this in our fucking conscience. This is an mm. innocent man. It's pretty fucking obvious he's innocent. We've got the DNA showing it. And... and that led to the conviction being overturned, wow. right? But doesn't stop there. <laughs> it just shows you the fucking rubbish that happens. So we're our concern is is how did he end up getting wrongfully convicted, right? Uh, why grab him in the first place? Why, why grab him in the first place? Why can somebody end up in that situation and not have any recourse? Our assumption yep. is that you are then going to go back and check all this and everything's going to be and we're going to have it all explained to us. Yep. So to that end, when you're in the appeal court, the high court. Uh, in the sorry the appeal court once you've been you're getting a high court uh, conviction quashed standard is that uh, you'll get a report right that the judge will sit and write a report about what had happened right uh, and why he they'd came, came to the conclusion that the appeal uh, that the conviction yeah, was unsafe okay. right and that then creates a legal precedent so you'll hear in many cases there's different uh, cases where somebody's successful or somebody's no successful and then it's a named piece of law uh, and that can be then used as... Because the ruled a certain way that yeah, you yeah, can say that's a yeah, precedent so yeah, they can apply to this. Yeah, so they'll use their precedents. Uh, lawyers will use them and make arguments about them as they go forward. So we were expectation, we were told that that's what would happen. This will be the... Well, I'm not going to name his second name, right? But the, his second name will be that will be that precedent, right? Yeah, and 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 that started oh, feeding out into different cases. Well, and so what we get told was is there was a case where these guys, quite well known gangland figures, right, were involved in an altercation uh, in the city centre. I should have said that the other issue in the case was. That uh, what the crown, what the the Lord Gillett was right. Lord Brian Gill was the chief uh, lord sitting that made the ruling on uh, my brother-in-law's case. What he said was is that the identify the not only was the DNA there right, but the the idea that you can be identified for a CCTV image, a third party identifying you for a CCTV image should not be used mm. right. The implications in that are fucking massive, right? Of course, yeah. So if a police can't sit with all this has all been set up, all the CCTV out there that we all face in society is all sitting there now and it's all predicated on the ability if a police sits down and looks at right, it, that's, that, that's Stevie Maguire, I know him, I'd know him anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that threatened that, right? And so the first case that came after my brother-in-law's conviction was quashed was these two well-known gangland figures in the city centre had been involved in an incident and when they were charged with it, the lawyer said straight away, because the only evidence they had against them, the eyewitness, the only evidence was the CCTV and they were identified for that. Can he use it? Can he take the charge? 
They didn't even take them to court. They threw the charges out. Right? What about in a case when it clearly is them on CCTV, though? Well, this is the point. Legally, it, what what it would have meant is you couldn't have ever relied upon it, mm. right? Uh-huh. So that had to be that would have swept that out. Yep. So what we were doing was waiting on Lord Gill's report that would create the precedent. Yep. Guess what? Never came. The report. Yes. So we don't get the legal precedent. So we go back to the court and we ask them, "Well, where's Lord Gill's report?" Oh, he forgot to do it. That's right? not on. You can't do that. Well, he can do it. Then you want because you're the fucking law. You're the law lord. You can he's got a responsibility like. to, to fucking... To who has he got a responsibility? To the law? To no, no. Is and who's the law? Didn't make no. Who's the law? I don't know. That 20 fucking... old guys and old women sitting with wigs on. The I law. don't know. In America, is that, old, that bird we're with the fucking there. scales in uh, it? But we're not in America. We're in Britain. Uh, and the final arbiters of the law are these uh, old people. Right? And they make the decision. So... Is that naive to think that though? Then is it ah, you're fooling yourself. Ah, that's the society you live in. At any point, that's the point. Because what? I don't want to know that judges are forgetting the day fucking things that are so important. He didn't forget. It's he didn't forget. It's he didn't forget. So what we asked him was, is right. How do we get uh, what you said? Right. Uh, what I'll do is, is give Lord Hamilton a recollection of what I remember. I should have wrote down. Right. So that's what we've got. No. Liam O'Donnell tries to use... Liam O'Donnell took verbatim notes yeah. of what the judgment was. So we have that. We have Lord Hamilton's recollections of Lord Gill's recollections, right? Mm-hmm. That What we're told is, is that that should have set the legal precedent. Liam O'Donnell attempts to go into court and use the precedent and says, mm-hmm. well, I've got it here and I've got it there. Don't be ridiculous. You can't use that. No ju- uh, judgment was made. We're not letting you use it. So it safeguards all the cases Aye. CCTV have been used in, right? So that that Because then it starts opening up the floodgates for fucking... Well, for anybody to come in and repeal and say, that's no me. But say what about the time. times when it is that person? But what does it matter? The, the rule of law states that fucking... The standard, the evidence... Aye. There has to be a quality in the eyes of law. It doesn't matter. You can't be prosecuting people in the hope of... What about the guilty person? Well, are we going to hold ourselves to that standard that we only rule ourselves on the basis but we must do everything in order to ensure that we get the guilty person? No, we must ensure that the innocent person isn't wrongfully isn't punished. Uh, right? So the principle has always been innocent until proven guilty. Yep. Right? Up until Tony Blair actually changed it and said, no, I would rather that a thousand innocent people go to jail than one uh, guilty person be let free. Right, so that that's the principle. Aye, but then I, just, I, I just I just want to get that get it clear though. I just want to get it clear myself. What about a case when it very clearly is that person, like the two gangsters that you're saying, right? And that's the only evidence there is, and you can see on the telly that it is them. But you're saying that that How, president's been set. No, you think you can see in the telly? No, but it is them. You can tell. How do you know that? Because when I see myself on the telly, I know it's me. How do you know it hasn't been manipulated? Until the point where you've done the examination, Aye. you're going on saying, no, date because I, don't I know. Like I don't like the idea of that, though, having CCTV because just you don't like the idea, but I don't like the idea of that, because but if that's the only evidence, then you're watching that, you think that is I, absolutely but, but that you person. you obviously don't know that much about Scottish legal system. I don't, know. Right, so, don't. and the, the other big uh, precedent case that was current at the time, shortly after uh, my brother-in-law's case, was a case called the Cadder Judgment, mm. Right. Now, in Scots law, there is a, a precedent that says that, see, if you're in your house and you're in, mm-hmm. right, and 
I break into your house. Right. Right. Now, there's a very, there's a case of this chick young. Google chick young for this one, right? You're a fucking sports guy. Sports guy, right? Oh, yeah, and that's, okay. but no, but so, but it goes to what you're saying, right? The protection right. of the ID, of the law, and what, how, how we are properly protected, right? So the principle basically is this. In Scots law, uh, so I've broke into your house, right? Right, right? And you know me, right? right? That was Paul McLaughlin that done that. I fucking stood and seen him doing it, right? And the police come and the police say to you, who done it? It was Paul McLaughlin that done it. So the police come and speak to me and I say, I don't know what you're fucking talking about, right? right. The police have to, in Scots law, you need corroboration. Aye, they were trying to quash the corroboration Yeah, but recently. that's based on, well, it was, it's based on the Cadder case, right? right? Named that. They were trying to quash it. I'll go into it. This is the fucking interesting thing about it, right? So the corroboration idea is you need two pieces of evidence in order to secure... There's a nice two parcel they had for your brother-in-law that was... Well, it's for everybody. It's a principle in Scots law. It doesn't exist pretty much anywhere else in the world. It's only Scots law that requires corroborative evidence, right? If they then come back to you... they can't. No, this happened in the Chick Young case... Chuck Young had identified somebody that broke into his property right. and they couldn't charge the person because there was no other corroborative other, evidence. Just, just no, his fucking... His word. word right, right. Now, I can understand from your point of view why you would want it to go like that. Right? Oh, no, no. It's more important that Chick Young gets the law acting in his behalf mm-hmm. right, and ensuring that conviction is brought. But the fact is, is if you can't, if all you've got is Chick Young saying it, he uh, done right, it, right. you don't have anything. Yep. Right, you don't. That's not strong enough in order to be pursuing people, in my opinion. No, right? no, no. Uh, no, somebody taking no. somebody's word for it. Isn't so, it? No, no, no. so going back to like. going back to the CCTV evidence, right? right? If you can't corroborate the CCTV, that's not taking somebody's word for it though. It's fucking uh, there in black and white, no, colour in HD. There is no ten eighty p HD. Are you your CCTV image? No, but it's a fucking very very clear representation of my can face. Can it be? Can it be manipulated? Well, aye, of course, of it, course can. it can. Right, so we can't well, rely on it as... What, has it not been in the past? Do you yeah. think the fucking really? DreamWorks are fucking going to come in and start well, CGI well, and a well, bank you know, fucking job to well, put my face do you know in what? Do you know what? See, even if they're no, if the potential is there that that's a possibility, then it's about the reliability of that yeah, as a method it's... of investigation, right? right? Yeah. That's the only point of that, because I'll give you another case, an interesting case about that, where it would know it's would give you severe worries, right? But again, that ties back to the idea of the CCTV being uh, something that at the time we had Cadder going on, mm-hmm. they already think that they're going to lose this, what right? Cadder was a guy called Peter Cadder who hadn't been uh, non represented right. by so it's when you're lifted. Right, mm-hmm. you've got a right to have somebody representing you mm-hmm. before you speak. Right, so aye, it's, aye. I've got a right for a lawyer. lawyer. I'm saying nothing. Aye, right. Saying well, lawyer, any right. statements taken before a lawyer is present were then going to be null and void under the cadder. And mm-hmm. and there was a number of cases whereby people had uh, made allegations about other people. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and then. People, we, we've got a lawyer would talk to them, but then that would be fun. Aye, so there's a number of people convicted whereby they've either been no mentally capable of representing themselves and saying things that they shouldn't have said, uh, uh, no being advised properly, uh, no being told by the police, just tell us this wee bit and this will go that way. So I've that, seen, that I've all seen videos of police like interviewing people and stuff like that, and they have certain techniques where they try and trip somebody up, aye. and they interview people for hours and hours at a time, aye. and people are fatigued, aye. and they might have a slip of the tongue, aye. but 
but that slip of the tongue goes down in black and white though, doesn't it? And that becomes your official well, story. Well, that's that. They're bold in what you've you've just said to them. Yeah. Right? And they can tailor your story to what, they, what need. they need. Exactly, and that's what a lot of people don't realise. Mm. Right? And that's why you, under Cadder, they viewed that potentially uh, no have re representation there, that there was an avenue there to pollute interviews. Mm. I was mixing up the corroboration argument with the Cadder. The corroboration argument actually came because in Scotland, it was something in rape cases, they were only succeeding in 10 to 15%. You could check that one. Wow. Uh, in rape cases, 10 to 15% conviction rates. Yeah. So there was a move towards ditching corroboration on the basis that because we'll get more convictions. But that then corroboration on, on something like a rape is just... Well, so, but that's the thing. So it's this outrage. Obviously, you get an outrage. A woman's been assaulted and, yeah. and harmed, right? You want to get the person that done that. But do you want to do that so much that what you do is ignore a requirement for solid evidence for in the real case. Evidence. Right. Yeah, you kinda just automatically just blindly take somebody's word for it because no, there are degrees no. of like like if, if a woman is raped, there is degrees of that. Well there's and again, women are abused and raped, uh, no doubt about that. But you don't solve that by wrongfully convicting people no. with that, right? No. So you don't lessen the standard that you, you, you need evidence, you set, but it's right? the kind of evidence well, you need. So you can have no evidence. What we've, we have actually swung towards this in England and yep. Wales where the, the spate of historical sex abuse cases, that it's enough now to say, you done that to me. And the police saying, we will believe victims. Mm. They're like, hold on a minute. What, what do you mean you believe victims? It's fair enough. You listen to a victim's claims and investigate them. Take it what do you mean you believe them? You Belief is you saying, I categorically accept what you're truth. telling me. Mm. Right? So the pendulum swung the other way. Now, this is obviously quite a contentious subject that mm. people are a bit getting up in arms about. No, it's a, it's a, the big cause of the, the modern age, fucking hang all the paedophiles, right? Mm. Which, fine, hang all the paedophiles. Make sure they are paedophiles. Well, you better fucking place, make so. sure uh, that they're, they're, they're guilty of eh, mm. what you're saying that they've done. Because what you're doing in the Christopher Jeffries case is a prime example of how media's fucking overreaction to things can mm. create a, a lynching mentality and how, I mean, you know the Christopher Jeffries case? I don't Jeffries know, case? no, Christopher Jeffries, there was a case where a uh, lassie had went missing, I think it was Bristol, and... Uh, is this a landlord guy? With the, the landlord with, the, with the, the mad... Oh, he's got he a crazy haircut, yeah. so he must be a fucking sadistic murderer, right? So there's a witch hunt against the guy. He's a queer hawk. He's peculiar. Master done it. Absolutely mm. fucking stonewaller. He done it. This is the press. This isn't mm. the press saying so, it a fucking chef pervert. Aye, it? <laughs> it was a fucking next door neighbour that done mm. it. Okay, Bill could really be a fucking hammer or something, didn't he? But so you're convicted in the press, and it doesn't really matter what it was happens to you because that's you're guilty forever, then. Isn't but you? that's the point. It's the argument <laughs> that there's no smoke without fire. That mm. what what and again tying back to the fucking idea that the social media being a mm. good tool. Well, it's good and bad, it's not something that I would rely on. I would rather have a police, an honest, decent police, investigating a case than fucking ten mad bastards sitting in, a, in their bedrooms. Fucking, <laughs> Tweeting about it. Aye, right, well, we've seen the, the Boston Marathon bombings mm -hmm. and the theories that were going thick and fast. Oh, he must have done this because if you look at that bag and the angle uh, here, and so vigilantism, try to take the, the place 
of law and order. Mm. I fully support law and order. The idea of proper a proper justice system, an accountable proper justice system, transparent mm. justice should be in place. The problem is we don't have a justice Do, system. Why is there a poison in the police? To- Kind of, I don't know the, the the police in general. Why is there a, the why is there this poison? Because there? they're why the biggest it? gang in the country, or the biggest gang in whatever country you're in, right? And so it depends what you think the the intention of the, the police is. You is just they, said earlier the intention of the police when you were growing up was basically to keep you in. It was like fucking sounded about right, like Planet so, of the Apes type. Well, to <laughs> me that's still the general role. The, the the police are there to protect certain interests, right? Mm, yeah. uh, I don't deny that. Again, the idea. To say that there isn't a good polis is a joke, right? Mm-hmm. But to think that there isn't a fucking bad polis, yeah, you're deluding yourself. Mm-hmm. And to think, they all, and it's always rolled out, a couple of bad apples in a barrel. No, you've got an institutional problem yeah. within the setup of the British justice system, including the police, the courts, and that system. Oh, What's the answer to that then? To, to fucking democratise it, to not have all the same group of people for the same background making the judgments, the same education, Investigating their own fuck-ups. Uh, uh, that's now, another problem. The, uh. now, you've obviously, you've, you've uh, re- not just so much represented, but you've, uh, you've encountered loads and loads of miscarriages of justice through your work. And uh, we spoke about, uh, the other night, we spoke about the, the Sonny Jacobs thing. We spoke about that. Uh, um, and we spoke about, obviously, I've spoke to you before about Jerry Conlon, who I know um, you're quite close to, and and, uh, and sadly he's passed away, um, and uh, Paddy Hall, and we, who you've encountered all these people, are the, is is there anything that, you know, uh, we're going to lead on to the fact that you've got the, the, the talk happening, uh, is there anything that they have... Um, did it, they, obviously, I mean, I know f- through just being a human being, I would be a very angry person if what had happened to these people had happened to me. See, in your work, getting on a personal level, is that what have you gained, I don't know why I use the word spiritually, but within yourself, have you fucking gained any faith? Nothing spiritually. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, like any, any kind of faith in humanity through them, Rather well, than I have got a, a faith in humanity separate for ever coming anywhere near the miscarriage of justice organisation. I believe people to be fund- fundamentally good and fundamentally want to do the right thing when they get the opportunity, right? That's my belief, how people are. Not everybody necessarily does that, right? And how and how is that? How how does that occur? Well, I would say that the problem lies within the institutions and the power set up that we face within the societies that we live in. And that's what creates corruption and creates deceit and creates problems whereby powerless people are exploited. Take Barry George as an example. Barry Mm -hmm. George is... Painted as this crazy man. We who mentioned fucking. Oh, it's Jill fucking Dando. this a dark player on it that killed Joe Dando. It's a long story. Fucking, who did you? I thought with? no. We needed. There was an old. There was on one of the shows. I think, and they said Barry George, and yeah. I thought it was Bobby George. fucking Bobby George. Right. Right. <laughs> well, ba- Barry George is a big guy who is. To say the least, when you if you meet him, he can be a bit of a peculiar guy. Have you met him? Well, I know Barry and his family quite well. Right. We've worked with Barry and his family mm. for a number of years. So Barry, the claim that Barry George, see if you met Barry George, see within two minutes of meeting him, see the idea that he could, he could plan to make a fucking cup of tea, never mind fucking execute a woman and then evade, initially evade justice. Do you know what gets me about that whole case? 
They still don't chase the fucking cunt who actually did do it. They never chase the people that that's done it. That's what you were saying. I was like, you expect after the after they admit that no, 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 we were wrong the first time, you want the fucking comeback. You want them to explain themselves. Right. No, See, the thing is, you're talking again about uh, the the, uh, the the mental state or the mental thing of people, right? See the, the uh, documentary Paradise Lost? Have you ever seen that? Is that on... Um... It's a three part. Yes, yeah, it's a three part, uh, right? Yeah, um, Damien Eccles. Damien Eccles. Who was the wee guy? The young boy. Um, he the the youngest one of them, right? Or uh, he was he was very young in mind. I know that sounds fucking like a terrible thing to say about the guy, well, but it's no, it's what we were talking about before we came in. Yes, here. it's well, the exact same. And the common theme that, that you was, find in the West Memphis free case yeah. runs uh, through so aye. many. It was the police that grabbed him. Aye, but 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 do you know, see when they revisited it all at the end, all oh, right now. Uh, after all, they went like that. By the way, that was that stepfather that done that to the events. Well, right? we, that's we, what's claimed. That's that's not that's, been proved, that's, what, bit, right? uh, that's what's claimed. That's not been proved. Right? Sorry, but they never even investigated it. No, because they don't. Because they're convinced that they've got the right people. And are they? Or they just want no one to fuck up. Well, do you want to talk about the big case? It was a case celebrity last this year. Was the making a, making a murderer, ah, Stephen Avery, the, and uh, the other boy? What do you think of that? What do you what think? Do I think is, is, think having watched. I've absolutely no idea, but what I can see in it is all the common themes, all the common failures that the police here and the crown here, and all the cases of Why? miscarriage of justice, they did the exact Why same thing. Why don't things. we learn from them? Brendan Dassey was particularly the the case yeah. I mentioned earlier, and I will mention the case, the Bluebell Woods case, right? See, the if you know the Brendan Dassey situation, they took a boy that didn't know what the fuck was going on, and they exploited that, and they used him because they had no other route to find what they wanted. So they exploited a guy that didn't know what was happening to build him as a witness to attack the the person that they wanted. Why did they go after Stephen Avery? Because the potential was within a couple of days that they very same sheriffs and the prosecution authorities in that fucking Matawan County, I think it is, right? That they would owe Stephen Avery millions and millions and millions of pounds. Did they have a motive to undermine Stephen Avery? They certainly did. Did they use techniques that are commonly used in miscarriages or justice cases? Aye, they did. They done what they do all the fucking time. They get vulnerable people and they play with their minds. Do you know? Do you know the one thing? Uh, it was a long. It was a long time ago. Obviously, I think I mentioned this to you. Um, I was. I was very touched by the Robert Brown case. Yeah. Um, because obviously the guys for Drum Chapel, mm-hmm. uh, and I could, could kind of relate to him. You know what I mean? Um, and and I couldn't believe. You know the the what had happened to him, um, so much so I was actually in tears when I watched I watched that documentary about it, and it was and, and that only very t- touched yeah. on what was going on there. Um, what is that? What is Robert Brown? So Robert Brown was a young guy from Drumchapel, moved to Manchester uh, when he was seventeen year old. He'd been in and out of care as a boy. Uh, was a, if anything a petty criminal, but nothing mm-hmm. then any, any seriousness. Uh, and there's a pensioner in Manchester is murdered and they haul Robert Brown in for it uh, and basically can beat him up and force a confession out of him uh, and falsely attribute the, Many years the, was the it? murder. They've done, they done 25 years in prison. 25 years in prison. See, six months before his conviction was quashed, they were trying to bin him off into, uh, what do you call it, Broadmoor. Right. Broadmoor's the, the yeah. state mental hospital yeah. in England. Yeah. Uh, so you, for for the worst, most horriblest fucking 
murderers and mm. just the most dangerous people in society are sent there, right? And he was told, Noah Brown, you have blocked all this out, you murdered that woman and you're kidding yourself on and that means that you're basically insane. Jeez. Now, that was the judgment that the psychiatrists in the system had given. There was actually another psychiatrist that had said, no, Robert Brown's telling the truth. Robert Brown is innocent, right? And she was sacked because of that. And then the evidence is found that, see, the police that had uh, fitted them up, that this is how they had been operating for years, that they were fitting people up left and right and centre. So it started, the case started to fall, the cases started to fall away and that yeah. focused back on to re-examining Robert Brown's case and it showed that they'd beaten the shit out of him, uh, used violence and lied in order to send this boy to prison and he spent 25 years in prison. But, but do you know what got me about that as well? Obviously, when I seen, when I seen him on the telly and uh, it was, I can't remember where it was, channel was we were watching a documentary and they were talking about him and uh, to be honest I had, I had no idea that he actually was terrible I mean no idea he even existed right and until you hear about the miscarriage of justice it was it was against him and you're saying oh my word the uh but when I was was that he got uh he got money for yeah he got quite a substantial amount of money fucking but wait did they not take it off him for his keep? Well, they've done this with everybody. So you're wrongfully convicted. <laughs> this is fucking horrendous. It started initially with Paddy. So just to give you a bit of background, the Miscarriage of Justice organisation was set up by Paddy Hull. Paddy Hull is one of the men who is commonly, were commonly known as the Birmingham Six. Mm-hmm. They were wrongfully convicted of bombing pubs in Birmingham in 1974, followed shortly afterwards by the arrest and conviction of the Guildford Four, so IRA bombings and well, they were claimed that they were Irish people. Irish, no, no, but it was IRA bombings, right? I don't know, but it was fucking just no, your no. Irish you for the description. Right, but so just let me lay the the the, the ground here. They, they they were followed by the Guildford Four and the Maguire Seven. Jerry Conlon was a member of the Guildford Four. Uh, the Maguire Seven were the family of the Conlons, right? I'm not going into too much detail. Was I, I was getting to was is that. Once the cases came, they, they had strong political backing eventually to overturn the convictions. The convictions were eventually uh, overturned. The Guildford Four were released first in 1989. It happened to be October the 19th, 1989. And the reason I remember that is because it's my birthday. Right? Uh, they were followed a year later, uh, two years later actually, uh, by the Birmingham Six conviction being quashed and then sometimes later the, I think the Maguire 7 were released shortly or run about the same time mm-hmm. Paddy Hill when he came out of the court uh, said clearly that these bastards in here couldn't spell justice never mind dispense it meaning the law lords right that there was a large conspiracy ongoing to wrongfully convict this group of people but not only that that in his experience he having served 16 years that he'd met so many people in prison that he was convinced were, was innocent that he would devote his first year out of prison to fighting the cases of these innocent people that he had encountered in prison so that's what he set out today for a number of years uh, he set out and he was involved in highlighting cases of a number of people Bridgewater 4 Johnny Kamara's case, any number of cases, right? But what Paddy realised was is that he couldn't do this by himself uh, and he decided, along with people that he'd been campaigning with, to set up an organisation that would specifically examine cases of wrongful conviction and examine claims. 
of wrongful conviction based on the idea that the person making the claim is, isn't just a miscarriage of justice, mm. right? It's not just that the court's made a wee mistake here, yeah. that you've got an innocent person who's factually innocent of the thing that they've been wrongfully convicted of, and that they would campaign to ensure that these people had a voice and had the ability to have their cases examined. And to that end, subsequently, with the Miscarriage of Justice organisation being set up, there was another body also set up under a Royal Commission. This was in response to the slew of miscarriage cases that had run through the early 90s. They set up a body called the Criminal Case Review Commission. After a Royal Commission, this was the conclusion. What had been happening in the past, prior to the release of the Birmingham Six and the Guildford Four, had been that really investigative journalists such as Duncan Campbell and David Jessel with the Rough Justice Programme and Trial and Error Programmes, Channel 4 and BBC, had campaigned for a number of years in a number of cases. And that was your best hope if you were an innocent person mm. to have your case heard that they would fight your, your corner. In the, the case of the Birmingham Six, it was World in Action that had fought their case quite strenuously. So the idea of the Criminal Case Review Commission was to replace the need for TV companies to investigate yeah. cases, that you would have a body that would listen to you. Because, again, going back to it, the Guildford Four had a, had, had, had a number of appeals. The Birmingham Six had had a number of appeals unsuccessfully. As you go through the appeal system, what the, the crazy problem is, is you start off with your first appeal, you've got the opportunity then to take all the evidence and try and develop this new evidence, bring it all in and show, here's the problem, right? This is what's went wrong here, right? If you fail there, see everything that you've just created the new mm -hmm. evidence, if you're lucky enough to find Can the new evidence, no, bang, no, no. that's gone, right? Yeah, and each time you move on, then you're hampered each time. It's a, you're working with less and less every time. Well, it's slow, slowly decreasing circles yeah. uh, that you're left uh, in. So the Criminal Case Review Commission, and in, it's called the SCCRC in Scotland, the intention there is, is for them to examine cases that have went before the appeal court and been refused. Can I ask something really quickly? Just to, oh. Has it ever went wrong? Have you ever thought this person is definitely innocent and they've came to you or even has went innocent and you've went so far along and then... We see the first day that somebody contacts us, the first thing that we tell somebody is, see if you tell us one lie, we'll yeah. drop your case instantly. Yeah. And we have had cases where five years have been three, five years put yes. into a case and the person has been on a phone and said something that they had never said before in the case and their case was dropped instantly. And an explanation was given to them as to why that was the case, uh, but we are no there to be exploited and used, yeah. right? So if we, we, we are entering into it with uh, an open mind. Mm. Uh, we're taking people... No, at face value, because we're no again just going, no, no, I'm innocent, oh, I've never done anything. Don't just believe, uh, well, shows the evidence yeah. for that, because yeah. by and large, in miscarriage of justice, justice cases, you can find a line shown that there might be issues with the mm. case, and then that gives you the ability to try and develop evidence to support the person. So, what we do is, is that somebody will write to us uh, and say, I've been sent. Here I'm innocent. I never done anything. We'll send them an application form. We'll ask them to complete the application form, and try to give us as much detail as to why they feel that there's a problem occurred in the judicial uh, case against them, and then we will examine that. We will do that. We uh, work with law students, uh, third and fourth year law students, and a number of people who are qualified but no practicing as lawyers yet, uh, and they do our casework. They examine the initial grounds. So we we routinely 
uh, receive 100 to 150 applications a year for support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and out of that, currently we're working with maybe 20 cases that are active cases and we're supporting... There are people that are genuinely in there... Well, we believe that yeah. they are, and what we're trying to do is assist them to develop the evidence uh, that will have their conviction quashed. Yeah. Right? So, and, and and we're working, and we have worked with maybe sixty people uh, since the organisation was set up well, that have had their conviction. Are they quashed. mostly historical cases. No. Mostly, mostly stuff as the recent cases. We receive. That's what I'm saying. We receive up to a hundred no, applications. But, but I mean, like, are they are they cases? Aye, they're happening every day of the week. Aye. Right. Mer- I would believe that there's more people in UK jails currently renewing making claims of innocence and potentially innocence. Well, that's the real case happened been, in the last basically 10 years been, rather well, than this happened the only figures, The only figures that we do have uh, were produced by the Lord Chamberlain's office. Now, mm-hmm. this is for England and Wales, so I can't speak for Scotland because figures only produced. But in 2007, uh-huh. 2008, no, they don't produce figures. For Scotland? They? Well, why would they? Yeah. What would be the reason for them to say we are making mistakes here? They don't like highlighting that, right? So, 2007, 2008, I figure uh, roughly 7,000 uh, miscarriage of justice, fairly release of the Guildford Four, right? What that breaks down to is, is that's anywhere for somebody having committed, no, because you can appeal a partner, partner mm-hmm. offence, right? Up to a murder. Right, so we're not really clear where we only what deal with is, uh... we deal with capital cases. That's four right. years and above. That's what we concern ourselves with. We know that we're not concerned with four years and below because it's still a miscarriage of justice and it still matters to the person of that gets so, a, that, know that put on them. priorities right? and what you've got. And well, we're, we're, we're an organisation of two full-time people. We're funded by the Scottish Government right, to provide support and aftercare for those who have their convictions quashed, but also to support those who have an active appeal. Right? And to that end, we work with a number of people try to develop their cases. We work in conjunction with the person themselves, with a solicitor and with family members, right? But the difficulty develops is because the pattern is you don't win your case normally the way my brother-in-law did. That's mm. sort of quite unusual to happen, right. that you, you win it within a year. By and large, you'll find it's going to be two, three, four, who knows how many appeals. And the problem is, because what we've had in the last few years is quite extensive legal aid cuts, right? Right. Money well, money's this. gone. So what? What in the past? What you would have had is is that. Uh, so you're the prosecution. You're the defence. You'd have a slight. Uh, it was always an imbalance. You'd have a slight uh, advantage because you're the state. Yep. So you have the resources of the state available to you, mm-hmm. up to an extent to to develop cases. Right. Whereas you, as the defence, have to rely on either the the wealth of the individual charged or the legal aid system. But by and large, you were able to develop a defence case using your own experts, using your own information, right? And you could apply to get that information uh, paid for through legal aid. Well, that's changed now. You don't necessarily have that happening as a matter of course. And you're getting very often defence teams relying on evidence developed by prosecutions, right? Using the prosecution's experts' Mm -hmm. evidence and solely it's try to base be slanted towards the prosecution's case. So well, how the, the fuck can they use it? Well, because you've no option, because you've no money. You've got the money. Right. Um, cool. Wow, man. Yeah. It's been a bit of an eye-opener, this whole thing. It's yeah. fucking eye uh, I'll tell you, it, it's, no, it's not changed my opinion massively on, uh, on what I uh, I'm certainly thought was fucking a fucking twisted and, and kind of... Uh, 
I'm going to say corrupt. There was, there was corruption involved in it. I'm it's really going looking twice over the polls, I see now. No, again, well, be cynical, again, but no. you're hoping that polis can be honest, right? Mm-hmm. And that they don't buy in. There's a good book, and I think she actually came from Mary Howard Drumchapel. Anne Marie Ramsey, Girl in Blue, or sister is Lynn Ramsey, the film director. Oh, right, right. right. So Anne Marie was a polis. And she, she wrote her book, and what she said is, is again, it came back to this idea that she joined the... Without realising it, we all good intentions had joined the biggest gang that there was available. And what she says is, is as an institution, it's, it's there's problems institutionally with the, with the polis. It's not to do with all the best intentions. I've spoke to guys that have joined the polis or know people that have wanted to join the polis. Why are you joining the polis? To make a difference, right? Because I think I might be able to change things, blah, blah, blah. What they don't realise is, is that... That system isn't really there to change up, anything. Right. Yeah. It's a monolith <laughs> there. This them, is how right? we do it. We're not changing. We're going down this road. And and what it becomes is, is that we protect ourselves before we protect right. the public. Before before we finish up, do you want to just plug your... Well, so on Tuesday, uh, there's an event happening at Strathclyde University. Uh, do you know this might go out too late? Uh, it's going to go out too late. Ah, yeah, it's, it's just for information anyway. Uh, we're going to stick up a ton of links to all the stuff on Tumblr because we post these episodes on Fridays. Um, so, so it's going to be Miscarriage of Justice Organisation. So it's the Guilt of Innocence is this event, right? And it's the Strathclyde Centre for Law, Crime and Justice that are hosting it. Uh, but we've got speaking at it Paddy Hull uh, of the Birmingham Six. We've got Robert Brown, who spent the, his... Him and Paul Blackburn, who's another one of the people that we work with, are the longest-serving prisoners who have had their conviction quashed. Uh, Jimmy Boyle, who is a school teacher in Glasgow, who was wrongfully convicted of historical abuse. Uh, the person that made the allegations against him uh, made the allegations again to the General Teaching Council, which is a civil has civil authority, mm-hmm. and they have barred him for teaching on the basis of this one person's allegation. That had been discredited in the high Before, court, yeah. right? Yeah. In a so, higher fucking law than theirs. But that's the thing. There's no such thing. That's the the the, the awful point. That it doesn't matter. You can have that judgment made in the highest court in the country, mm. and it can be undermined by a lower court because they're only examining the criminal evidence. They're examining civil evidence. Yeah. And so he's barred for teaching. He's speaking at it. There's a representative for the Scottish Criminal Case Review Commission, uh, Sheriff Jimmy uh, Jerry Sinclair speaking. Uh, and the, the the whole event's actually going to be, it's being filmed. We're currently oh, is it really? working with right. a film company and there's going to be a programme on in April on BBC nice. called Freefall. Uh, and it's BBC and RTE in a joint production and it's examining what happens to people once the conviction's quashed. Because that, for us, is the biggest problem that people are left. Basically, if, if, you, if you're a, a guilty person release with prison. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not saying the service that they, that's provided to guilty prisoners on release is wonderful, right? But you certainly have a process whereby you, it's called training for freedom right. and they'll try and re-climatise you and reintroduce back you into back society. into society. Right? But that doesn't happen for an innocent person. No. What you happens just is, is saying, well, you were there's the door, you get go. to fuck, right? But the very idea that what happens in that, that circumstance, you're wrongfully convicted, you don't get one, an explanation, you don't get support, Without being proactive, you need to go out and seek all these things. What we say as an organisation is is that the, the government 
have a duty to ensure that these things are in place for you mm-hmm. that, and you are thoroughly supported to get your medical needs because by and large, most people that have been wrongfully convicted, a stu- the, the only study done into this was done by Dr Adrian Grounds and Adrian Grounds' conclusion was that five years in prison, if you're a guilty person, will create a long-term psychological damage, irreparable psychological yep. damage. That's okay, to a guilty, guilty person, yeah, right? To an innocent person, it's ten times Good worse, me. right? And so, therefore, the people on release suffer from post-traumatic stress, right? And if it's left untreated, it's compounded, mm. right? And it continues to be compounded. As it stands today, if you're released from prison tomorrow, what they expect us to do is take you to your local mental health team mm. who are not experts, right? And then that's compounding the issue because you might not find the right person that's going to treat you mm. very well. We think that there should be a bespoke service Aye. put in place for miscarriage of justice victims. And and there's a precedent for that because it happens uh, with any number of disasters, uh, with the Marchionez disaster, with the kidnap of Terry Waite, Brian Keenan and John McCarthy. Uh, we the seven seven bombings services are provided directly to intervene immediately, right, to ensure that people are are given the ability to try and filter this whole experience and and then try and find ways of coping, right? That doesn't happen here, and what we are saying is, is the reason that doesn't happen is is because of the embarrassment in miscarriages of justice. The state cannot admit its failure. So So they can't help the people? No, they don't want to help the people. Our our clients and the people we work with are the guilty secret of the justice system in the UK. And not just the UK, because this happens all over the world, right? It happens everywhere. Where there's people involved in making judgment, there's going to be failure. The failure here for us is is that the system doesn't necessarily want to examine or accept that, even for the level we're saying, right, in my brother-in-law's cases, why did these two police officers come to the conclusion that they did? Given the other evidence that was available in relation to Michael Absalom, how did that happen? Was there any examination of that? No. Why is that not the case? Why were the Crown prosecutors who had convicted or put forward the charge to say it's okay to prosecute Michael Absalom and my brother-in-law Examine it. It was the same guy. No. Bear that in mind. Know. It was that's the same crown officer who sat with that material. Well, he did put it together. That's the point. He did put it together. That's the exact point, right? But there's no mechanism for us to be able to go back in and say yeah. we want something done about this, right? So it's easier to fucking brush people off. And Stevie made the point about compensation. In the Victor Nealon case, Victor Nealon can't be compensated. Do you know why he can't be compensated? Right? Now, the principle is, is innocent until proven guilty. Mm. They changed the law in 2012 in England and Wales to say, well, actually, mm, that's not necessarily the case. So in cases where you're claiming compensation, if they haven't actually arrested somebody and convicted somebody for the crime that you've wrongfully been convicted for, well, it's, we can't 100% say you didn't do it. We'll let you away, but we can't actually say it. Well, we can't, com- we're not going to compensate you because we failed, we failed to catch the person. So we can't, although you're innocent, well, you're not really innocent. Mm-hmm. No, we had enough to take you into court. Aye, you're going, yeah, no, yeah. but the principle is, as I stand here, the new, and you two sit here, the new, right? We're innocent, right? Yeah. A police can walk in here, the new, this is in England and Wales, and say to the three years, charging you three years with murder, right? We, we whatever evidence, and if he's got strong enough evidence to lay the charge, right? Mm-hmm. What they're now saying is the very fact that he had enough evidence to bring yeah, that in front of the crowd. That is enough to say, well, you're not entirely clean, are you? 
You're going, but I, I've, I've not done anything. I've been sitting in here with these two but guys. Paul is saying uh, that. Right, so that's the problem. I, I hate to call an end to the event, <laughs> but we're uh, fucking fuck, massively what, what ran over. Is, is not even... I know, we've no scratched the surface. So um, it's been fucking fascinating having a chin wag with you. Um, we never, there's a million things we never got to. But there's just so much in-depth well, stuff there. Well, and there it is, has been like sitting with a fucking... Somebody who really knows their shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did get mixed up on my corroboration in the cadder. Mixed oh, the yeah, but, yeah, but can I also say that we're... Uh, somebody's wrote a play. All right. right? Aye, aye. We've got a guy called Martin Chomsky who's written a play and it's called Paddy Hill, I Confess. Right. right? And it's a bit of a black mm. comedy, right? But what yeah. it is is it's actually a verbatim piece. Uh, Paddy in talks with Martin Chomsky they've developed this play and the, the basis of the play is an interview on television the television interview and Paddy talking about his case so it's mm-hmm. Paddy if he's in words Aye. telling what happened it's we're workshopping it uh, for the 14th to the 18th in the Citizens Theatre and a reading will be taking place in the Citizens Theatre on the November the 18th we also, on the tw- 41st anniversary of the Birmingham pub bombings, be holding a reading in Birmingham on the 20th wow. of November. The bombings are the 21st of ve- uh, November. So there's a current inquest into the Birmingham pub bombings that's going to be happening. Who really done it? That, well, everybody know who's, knows who really done it, mm. right? Aye. The question is, is why were six innocent men sent to jail and then the families of the 21 people that died and the 181 people that were injured? Why were they lied to for 40 years about what had happened? Because the truth has never been told, right? Wow. So the purpose of the play is to focus on that and to try and get some interest moving. back into the idea of why we know being told the truth in these situations, yeah. why, and it ties back into what we were talking about a minute ago, you never get to the truth, nobody's ever held to account, and in fact, certainly in the Birmingham case, and the Guildford case, all the people involved in the prosecution side were all promoted. Now, this is a common theme, and just to finish on that, yeah. right, a common theme of lawyers and prosecution experts and police officers all being promoted and going on to great success, right, in their careers. Uh, in my brother-in-law's case, the police officers that arrested him... Yeah, saw him for the wee fucking... ...were promoted, really? right? And not only that, he was involved in a domestic incident sometime after his release, mm-hmm. and who did they send to... Yeah, same cops, really? The same police. Oh, well. Right. <laughs> there you go. Sinister as ever. <laughs> right. Uh, Thanks very much, Paul. Paul, thank fantastic. you. That was fucking eye-opening. Thanks thank for having you. me. And, thank uh, you so much. Uh, you in there, Diane? Yeah. Uh, she's sleeping. I'm here. Right. <laughs> oh, he didn't have a lot of giggling today because Paul was just so up on his stuff. I didn't oh, even really need you that much. No. I was googling. I was following and googling. <laughs> was I right? I accept the cadre case. Uh, I, 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 I believe I got that. Sake. I got that confused. No, I got one rank. You're my breaker. No, it's. Listen, I had well, to look. I had to look every one of them up, so I can't see it. I did realise my mistake, though. I have to exactly. say. Exactly. Right, roll the tune. Fucking great. Guess. Thank you very Thank much. You so much. <laughs>